Hello, and welcome to another less l- less than lonely episode of So You Think You Can Fan It. Uh, for once, I am joined with uh, a third person, so I can't put us equally on uh, both uh, both ears uh, in stereo configuration. I'm here with the oh, guy I put on the right ear last time, Matt. Did you actually do that? That's uh, 66, yeah. Matt. Not yeah, Matt. Six, 66, Matt. Yeah, for the, uh, the near episode we did, I did it stereo. I'm on the left ear and you're on the right ear. Sergio, that's horrible. Why would you do that? <laughs> I know. I, I thought it was a good idea. That's awful. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, sorry. It's already uploaded. The, the 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 fans have are have have already heard it. I'm not gonna go back and change it. <laughs> Could you imagine Rich Evans and Mike Stocklasa reviewing Star Trek, and they're just both in one ear? God, why would you do that? That's hell. Well, I was like, oh, it's convenient. We could do it in a stereo because there's there's two Sergio, audio we're tracks. So, I'm so much louder than you Are you joking? You no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you're not joking? <laughs> I'm not jo- go, go listen to the episode on Sergio, uh, I'm Anchor. Gonna, I'm going to make a new subreddit called r slash I am very good at audio <laughs> editing. And well, you're going to be the first fucking well, okay, 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 listen. When I was uploading the the near episode came out today. It's January Dude, this 17th. Is horrible. I was audit- I was editing it and I had an idea. How could I solve us no. talking over each other? Oh, I could put us on separate. I could put one of us on the left ear, one of us on the right ear. It sounded no. fine. To me. It's, it's worse. It's, it sounded fine to me when I was listening to it. What the fuck, dude? No, you're, you're a bug this is person. horrible. You're a bug person. This isn't. <laughs> This is like like editing 101. Don't do that shit. <laughs> listen, listen, I'm a biologist by trade, not a sound editor. I'm a biologist oh too. God. This is first like rule number one. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh. Whatever. It won't happen again, I promise. Oh, okay, let's stop let's stop bullying Sergio. Otherwise he'll be tempted to put him and me on different ears again and then make Kai omniscient. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, oh, you should totally Kai, do that. Kai is mono. What are we reading today? <laughs> Just okay. compress my audio. Okay, I know we, what we're we reading. Have... I'm subjecting you both to hell. We have uh, twenty thousand words. We we have a a, fa- a fanfic um that matt is a big fan of that he has been raving to us about for whoever long knows how long it's called the requiem of remnant by the black mage of phantasm it's a pretty awesome username yes uh the dude is trying to start up a patreon for his own stuff he he really likes doing crossover fanfics don't ask me why it's his favorite thing to do he's he's also got like a very good like a big backstory that he has in his bio that we won't read right y- now. Yes, he's had a very tragic, dramatic backstory, but uh, he he likes to write very serious crossover stuff. It's it's all good, honestly. He's got a Steven Universe and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure crossover that should not work, and it works frighteningly well because Yoshikage Kira is in Steven Universe's hometown. <laughs> what? Yes. Does he just because he just blow up all of them and and that terrible show? Uh, he he for, does for he does blow up many side characters from the Steven Universe. That's great. In addition I to have... that, he also gaslights and psychologically manipulates Steven into hating his uh adoptive gem mothers. 
it's That's great beautiful i've it's never really watched fun. the show but that all sounds wonderful to me on honestly if you just looked up characters that you didn't know the name of you could read that just being a jojo's bizarre adventure fan it's that good gotcha anyways so, description he was not aware of how he got to this new world he could not say a way to return home some might say he had nothing but they were they would be wrong he had his wits his skills most of all his ambitions and even in a new world there was still an underworld of crime he could rise to the top of a golden wind is about to sweep through remnant. Uh, I will be the author. <clears throat> Chapter one, new beginnings. Disclaimer, I do not own Jojo's Bizarre Adventure or Ruby. All rights belong to their respective owners. Also important, if you have not read Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Bento Oreo, because you are currently waiting for the anime version to come out. Spoilers are in the story that directly relates to the ending. Read at your own risk. You can that really oh, date this fanfic of people still calling it Bento Oreo. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this chap. This is going to be quite long. There is an average of fifteen thousand words per chapter, but the first one is especially long, at over twenty thousand words. So buckle in, boys and girls. Uh, <clears throat> I'm yes. Uh, fan and PSA: Don't make chapters this long. Chunk them out. Not not yeah, like Mike Freeney two pages. Uh, but not twenty thousand words. Yeah, twenty thousand words is longer than some novellas. <laughs> 20,000 words for one chapter is like Sergio putting two people in the left and right ears. Yeah, it is. It's like that. I'm going to make I'm really you happy we got one that on, I'm really happy we got that on recording that you put that in separate fucking <laughs> ears. And that you thought that was a good idea. <laughs> I, I thought you were joking. I, I thought you were too. I mean, I mean, Audacity also 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 puts up the pop up like this will be combined into a mono recording. I was like, well, what if I did Sergio, a stereo recording? Sergio, I want you to know you're going to have to pay me good money to not tell Jacob that because he will find that funny, and he will never let you live that down. I'm I will protect you, but you have to bribe me. I will I'm not, not protect you, <laughs> Sergio. Okay. Can go and just get beaten up by Jake. Bro, oh, I just I, I just spent a lot of money on a car repair, so I don't have I don't really have the time to bribe you right now. So I think okay. we should start reading. Okay, mm. <clears throat> I will I will narrate. Who would like to be Mister Vento dot Reo himself? Me. I, I was gonna say Please. Kai should be Jorno. You know who I'm going mm. to be? The woman. <laughs> yes. The women. I can, I can take like two women. of the women, and you can be the other two women. Okay. I will take Ruby and Yang, and you can be Vice I, and Blake. Full, full stop, I don't think they show up in the first chapter. This is oh. mostly a Giorno-centric fic. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. Hmm. Anyways. <clears throat> Let's get into it. It was over. His body and clothes that had once been caked in blood were free of any signs of the red liquid. Bruises that were once present on every inch of his skin had disappeared from existence. Bones that had been crushed and pulverized to dust were now completely restored. His eyes looked around and took in everything, the various buildings surrounding the street he stood on, the bright blue sky, and the radiant sun. And then he looked at his friends. A man with a diagonal grid-patterned hat, a girl with pink hair in the shape of a whirl, the people who had supported him throughout this final battle, the two who had stood by his side throughout their strange and dangerous journey. Two people he had grown to care about like the family he never had. The only ones left who had survived along with him against men. 
They were smiling, and they had every right to. They had done what no one thought was possible. They'd beaten the man who was practically invincible. The creature so desperate to kill them, he went to extraordinary lengths to do so. A man that even he, for a moment, thought would be the end of him, was now suffering through a fate worse than death. After killing so many of their friends, it was fitting that the bastard went through a special type of hell for all his crimes. They'd lost so many people, but now their departed friends overdue rest. Their friends would not return, but that didn't matter, for the animal responsible was dead and their deaths were avenged. They'd finally defeated the malicious demon that had been so determined to stop them. The man that had hurt so many, whether by himself or through his pawns, would never again be at peace. Oh, many people. He tried to avoid the inevitable to his very life. He had failed. With him dead, everything he'd ever lived for and the empire he had meticulously built, a life full of power, a legion of loyal soldiers, everything he'd done was for nothing. Because for a man who was neither dead nor alive, wealth and respect did nothing to his fate. For the first time in what seemed like forever, he too smiled. Their journey had finally come to an end. They'd never given up and now they could finally stop. They could stop thinking of ways to outsmart their enemies, stop worrying about being pushed into another life and death struggle, and to stop agonizing over where assassins might be waiting to strike. They'd survived, and he'd just achieved his dream. It was over. Finally, after so long, it was over. And he'd never been happier in his whole life. He was about to open his mouth to speak, to tell his friends the same news they'd no doubt just realized themselves, but he would repeat nonetheless, for it all seemed like a nightmare they would never wake from, and it was still a shock that their ordeal had finally ended. He would have told them how happy he was that they'd won, how they should all feel victorious, for no matter what might say, it wasn't just him that had beaten that bastard. They'd all played vital roles in his ultimate defeat. He might have landed the finishing blow, but without his friends, he would never have the battle. He would have told them that they needed to make sure to get their other friends' bodies back and give them proper burials. This moment of triumph was jubilant, but that did not mean they could pretend their friends hadn't lost their lives. Not that any of them could forget. No doubt they'd had the same thoughts, so they needed to move quickly and preserve the bodies. He would have told them all of this, and throughout his words they would still hear it, the voice reminding them they'd succeeded, a specter of their friends that would say they were proud of them for finally defeating the monster. The little sound in their heads that would repeat over and over again, like the noise itself couldn't believe it was over either. If only he had that chance to speak. But before a single word left his lips, heard it. Nothing around him seemed out of the ordinary. Not the thing was out of place. Not the buildings or birds that flew in the sky, nor a single object he saw looked nothing but a menacing screech. The malevolence from the scream devoured the air. He could feel it slowly approaching him with a sadistic grin. He began to sweat, his hands clutching into fists, his muscles tensing as he felt his breathing becoming erratic. He never lost his composure easily, only on rare occasions did he let his free. But the sudden coldness that engulfed him, even though it was still sunny and warm, told him how dangerous the situation was. And for once, he had not a single clue as to what was going on. The screeches only rose in volume with each second and they showed no signs of stopping. The malevolence got closer, and he could feel it grip his legs. He couldn't think of any reason why he was suddenly feeling such dread. 
He'd just beaten a man who had such fearsome power, so why was he so? He hated to admit it, but right now he was scared. He attempted to seal away his dread so that he could focus, but it was just too much. Too massive to completely vanquish. It was like he was being engulfed by terrifying shadows, and as they expanded and slithered around him, they became all the more frightful. He looked to his friends, and they were still smiling. Even though the screams silenced every other sound around them, they didn't seem to hear it. Even though the malevolence was only inches away from engulfing them with its feral smile, they didn't notice. Even though his body was shaking more and more despite his efforts to stop it, they didn't seem to care. Were they still too overjoyed at killing that bastard hunting them like animals to realize what was going on? No, they couldn't be that blind. His friends were just as attentive as him when it came to even the tiniest of details. And seeing him, a man who was always in an iron hold of his emotions, shaking like a leaf from fear, should have immediately signaled that something was wrong. So why, then, did they not react to... Suddenly. Laughter. It started off low and deep, chilling his already frozen body as his heart began to slam against his ribs. A disturbing laugh, each baritone chuckle held so much malice that he could feel it gripping his throat. The menacing darkness that emitted from each chuckle embedded itself firmly into his spirit as his breathing abruptly halted, and the laughter only grew from there, became darker, bordering on maniacal, and easily engulfing his thoughts in an immense terror. He'd never experienced anything like this before, and it was horrifying. The only thing he could do was tremble and do nothing. He had just attained power that would make others run away in terror. He had finished a journey no one thought could be completed. He was a man who was closer to achieving his dream than ever before and should not let anyone dare try to stop him. After everything he'd been through, after fighting so long, he should have been more than ready to face whatever was laughing at him. So why was he still shaking? Why were the howls of laughter so disturbing to him? Why did he suddenly feel like he was staring into the eyes of something more powerful than any man he'd ever faced? Why did it feel like he was facing off something of another world, something that demanded everyone and everything and respect? Why was that underneath the fear in his very soul, lingering sparkles of awe and he appeared? And that was when he realized it, a true and unholy monster. Whatever he had fought before, the man who had caused him so much pain was just that, a man. Every person he'd fought against had been the lowest scum the world had ever produced, but they were still human in some capacity. It was only now that he realized what it meant to a monster. To be a being with that justice existence can bring others to their knees with unrelenting fear. A creature that could channel malice into the air and use it to suffocate those around it. A being that could use the darkness that was born from its core to rip and gut anyone who it deemed unworthy. A monster that could and would kill anyone that it wanted to. A demented creature that had done so many appalling things, killing him would just be adding to the ever-growing list. To the monster he was nothing. And such a being was standing right changed. The sky, once so blue and bright, changed to color. Now he stared up to a never end of purple. And in the sky he could see the lights from shining down on him. The ground before him had turned to water but somehow he was still able to stand on the weak surface and not plunge underneath the seeming rent. Every single one of the people that he had fought with 
now lay on this water lost on his journey, men who had accepted him and stood by his side and trusted him, even men who decided to walk away from their group, were there lying on the floor. But what made his heart stop was the fact that they were all drowned. The awful liquid poured from holes and gashes in their bodies, mixing with the glittering water they laid on and giving it a disgusting red sheen. Their bodies were cut like meat prepared by a butcher, limbs sliced and torn so thoroughly he could see their pink muscles that should have been covered by skin. Large chunks of their flesh were scattered on the ground, and the chunks seemed to rot quickly as a foul smell reached his nostrils, their eyes gouged and leaving only... It took everything he had to not unleash the bile in his throat, every ounce of willpower he had to not fall to his knees and stare at their corpses, for if he did, he might never stand again. He took a step back as his shaking grew worse, and the horror twisting and slithering around him only became so much more terrifying. The fear rooted within him grew more powerful with each second, spreading and mangling every part of his body in its vicious grip. He struggled to even form a cohesive thought, sweat now cascading down his skin like water. His trembling had gotten to the point where he could stand. This shouldn't be happening. This couldn't be happening. They just won. They finally reached the end of their journey. They'd beaten their powerful foe and should have been celebrating right that instant. But instead, he was forced to stare at their lifeless bodies. His two friends who'd gone through hell with him, now dead. The only people who he had left were gone. The ones he would have repaid for all their sacrifices and hard work had they all gotten back to where they're supposed to be were all now swimming blood. And now he would never get the chance to thank them. Now his only friends had been... Now they'd been slaughtered by a monster that was as spiteful as it was powerful. A creature that would take pleasure in seeing send into abject despair. He was left alone to his being, and he was prepared to do just that. His fear was burned to ashes as rage flared and consumed his soul. He wouldn't let this stand. He would not let this go unpunished. His shaking stopped as he clenched his hands to fists. His fury was unforgiving and vengeful. Flames that would not stop destroying until he was satisfied. He would not let this demon get away with this. Not when he'd finally beaten that psychotic man. Not when it had just killed the only two people left in the world he cared for. He didn't care how malevolent it was. He didn't care what kind of abyss it had risen out of. He didn't care if it was Satan himself. For anyone that dared to make him this furious would face a wrath so blazing it would burn the ground. He was, he was prepared to unleash a hell unlike any other on the fool that had just made the biggest mistake of his life. He looked down and there was a fist piercing straight through his chest. His blood splattered on the ground, a distorted painting of red soon forming on the water-like floor. Crimson liquid dripped down from the massive fist, radiating such foul malevolence it assaulted every one of his senses. His world became blurry as darkness rose. Slowly, the monster removed a tan from his body, and he felt all control of his legs leave him as he collapsed to his knees. He raised a trembling hand to his chest to try, somehow, and stop the rivers of blood leaking from his body. His efforts were completely in vain. The blood gushed from his wound. When? 
Agony unlike any he had felt enveloped him. He'd gone through so much pain and been forced to suffer at the hands of strange and terrifying abilities. He'd even gone through torture he relived in his mind, but no pain he had ever felt set his nerves on fire like this. No man he had ever faced was able to send his body into a roaring torment that caused every muscle inside him to scream. He would be screaming as well, but he was unable to say anything more than muffled gasps. The darkness continued to twist and crawl in his eyes. The shining stars did little to illuminate his vision as more blood fell to the floor. He couldn't believe he'd been so careless. He couldn't believe he'd been so easily defeated. And he couldn't even understand how. He never got the chance to use his powers before the monster had crippled him, treated like a fly, and so failed. He tried not to focus on the cruel despair, but even amongst all of his pain, he could still feel it. He could feel it biting away at his very essence. He could feel the hope that he'd clung to leaving him, rotting away as he coughed another glob of blood. He'd never known such relentless anguish in all his life. Any chances of avenging his friends had just been crushed without mercy. Any chances of winning, destroyed without effort, underneath the boot die. He knew that there was no escape. No plans to get him out of this hopeless situation. No last-minute inspirations that would allow him to snag victory from the monster so close to No friends to save him. He wanted to curse at the unfairness of this, to scream why he was forced to go through such a hell straight to the heavens, but he knew that it would all be pointless. It was he could barely even breathe. He couldn't change this reality. And then as the darkness almost completely engulfed him and his heart slowed down, he heard it footsteps. It was so sweet, this voice, so inviting that the benevolence from the words wrapped around him like a chug. It was so warm he thought he was a. At the same time, the shadows that secreted from each syllable choked at what little life he had left. He could feel the malice created by the demon's mere stance begin to gather around his bleeding form and eagerly await to slice away at the helpless man. And for some reason, lying in between the malevolent my he couldn't make out the rest of the monster's words for his ears had shut down right before the first word the darkness distorting his eyes had finally completely enveloped his vision and the last thing he saw was his own so that's the build-up to it let's take a little break there because my voice is tired wow that was just a very long matt reads <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I forgot how much just raw narration there was in this. Yeah, that was really good. I really enjoy the prose. It, um, it's long, but this intro just threw me completely off my rocker when I was looking at a JoJo <laughs> Ruby crossover fanfiction featuring Giorno Giovanna, one of the memeiest of the Joe stars. I don't know, what do you guys think so far? Was this even remotely what you expected? No. I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't this. I, I, I didn't expect it to slap. I, I've been yeah. too burned by crossover fix to just not expect, like, things that are good. Yeah. I agree. This author, everything he's written is this good. All of it. Oh my god! All of it is this good. Oh god, that that reminds me of a crossover fanfic we read like a bajillion years ago. I don't think you were on the show at the time, but it was like Fallout, Skyrim, and Kingdom Hearts for some reason. 
What the what? fuck? I don't that even sounds remember. awful. I don't even remember what it was called. I, I remember it being somewhat decent, but I think it's like we should return to at some point. That sounds Maybe. funny. Mm. Alright. There should be a little less narration this time. Sorry, I had to... I think I just narrated like 2,000 words. Yeah, probably. Mm. To be fair, you did narrate a lot for my story as well. So, that is true. That go. is true. I'm feeling the dry throat now, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A man's eyes shot open and watched the orange sky above. Golden locks of hair tied into a braided tail that hung from the back of his neck. Hanging over his forehead, his hair was shaped into three swirls while the rest was neatly styled to his liking. A glossy blue suit with a checkered coattail clung to his slim yet muscular build, equally blue pants covering his long legs. On his collar were bright red wing-shaped emblems. The middle area of his suit had a heart-shaped opening, his broad chest revealed to the world. The gap itself was lined with a bright red beads of a variety of shapes as it led to a zipper that extended to the bottom of his suit. Two ladybug emblems were located on both the left and right side of the gap. The bright red color of the emblems made the blue of his suit all the more vibrant and striking. Lime green dress shoes, which were well shined and seemed to gleam in the light, decorated his feet. Had out a small groan. I just gotta say, regardless of everything else, fucking bravo for describing Giorno's bullshit outfit in words. God Why is it forbid. Blue? Well, that's how you could tell it's before the anime, because before the color scans have him blue. Yes. Oh, and I, I, I must okay. admit, I like blue Giorno more than I like pink Giorno, even to this day. It's pink? I thought it it's, was purple. And lavenderish. It's It's somewhere around that color scheme. It's definitely not blue. It's definitely not dark blue, I can tell you that. I'm not a fan of the dark blue red ladybug Giorno. Cringe! I need to look Cringe. up blue Giorno then. Cringe. It, I don't cringed. know. It just it looks wrong. I like it. I like blue Giorno. It I just, think that looks pops. better. It pops so fucking well, and I love it so it much. It goes better with his hair color, I think. Like, I know yellow and purple are supposed to be complementary colors, but I think blue and yellow looks better together. I, agree. I don't know. It's, I'm just not fit. Maybe it's just I'm just so used to saying pink Giorno. I think that's it. Most likely. <clears throat> I can't think that is pink. I'm sorry. I mean, I know I'm I'm colorblind, it, 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 but pink, like pink isn't quite the purple. right term. I, I would say it's more lavender, isn't it? It's purple. Yeah, it's purple. I don't know why I'm saying it's pink. I don't. I, you get what I mean. Uh, like, so, yeah, it's all purple. right. It's, eh, eh. I will die on this hill. It's purple. Eh, oh, that's right. I'm thinking of lavender the wrong way. Yeah, uh, it, it's like a pinkish purple. Pinkish purple. purple. Yeah. Purple. I, it's a pinkish I, I, purple. I, however, the true outfit is a. Uh, his his the 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 mob boss black, black yes black outfit oh yeah with the black green. and green black and green that's where it's really at. Jorno <clears throat> <clears throat> Giovanna shakily rose his upper body. His eyes moved down to glance at his chest. There was no large wound, nor a fist sticking out of his body. 
Cold sweat fell from his face and dripped onto the ground below him. He brought his arm up to his face and wiped the sweat from his sleeve. His heart... Oh, excuse me. His heart was slamming against his chest, the rest of his body shaking from a cold that engulfed his every limb. He could feel chilling winds brush against his skin, even though the temperature around him was quite hot. He looked around and saw he was in a tight alleyway. He was laying on top of a pile of black garbage bags, and only now did he notice the stench filling the air. He ignored the smell as best he could, and looked at the walls surrounding him. The dumpster leaned against the side of Buzzhe. He slowly moved his legs off the garbage bags before planting his feet firmly on the ground. He rose to his full height, but the moment he stood up, his legs wobbled and he stumbled forward. He almost crashed into the opposite wall, but he used his hands to lean against the wall and hold himself up. His legs continued to wobble, and deep gasps escaped his lips as he struggled to stay standing. Every limb felt numb. Every movement felt difficult and tiring. It felt like he hadn't used his body. His mind had forgotten how to operate his own limbs. There were no wounds present on his body. His clothes did not have a single trace of blood or any tears. Physically, there was nothing wrong with him, but for some reason, he felt exhausted. He wasn't injured, but a phantom pain enveloped every inch of his body. It felt like he'd just awakened after. After. Flashes of his blood pooling around him entered into his mind. He could feel the malevolence of the monster. He could feel fear lodging itself deep in the like a wedge. His dread twisted and engulfed his body as he could do nothing but lay in the water-like ground. Shadows embodied with malice surrounded him, the accumulation of a dark hatred that slowly extinguished the last embers of cruelty from any living being. And yet, an image of his friend's dead became into his mind. It happened right in front of him, and he'd done nothing to stop it. He was helpless to save the people. He was sweating again. He brought his arm up to wipe away at the lip. It was just a dream. There was no way any of that could be real. He'd won. They had won and had finally beaten that bastard Diavolo. He knew that for a fact. He'd finally managed to get feeling back into his legs as he pushed off the wall. Now able to stand, he once again looked around the alley and he noticed that something just seemed off about the buildings around him. He didn't spend much time on that, though. He was focused on one thing at the moment. Mista and Trish. And they were nowhere in sight. Even though he was just with them after beating the bastard, they had seemingly disappeared in a single instant. No, perhaps it would be more accurate to say that he feared. He knew he hadn't been anywhere near an alley after defeating the leader of Passion. In fact, it was almost noon at the time of his demise, yet now it was far later in the day. Now the skies tinged bright orange as the sun set in the distance. It was clear to him that some time had passed since his fight with that bastard. He tried to remember what exactly had happened after he'd beaten Diabolo. But for some reason, he could not. He tried to recall what he'd done after killing the psychopath, but he just couldn't remember anything that had happened after that moment. Inside his mind, his memories were clouded, lost in a sea of blank images. It was as if a fog entered his mind and it made it impossible to see what had occurred. Just how did he get here? No answers came to him. He let out a breath as he began to process this new information. He'd regained his composure, and he would not lose it again. Now with a calm mind, he could easily been. He'd beaten Diavolo, and now after an unknown period of time, awoke in an alleyway. He couldn't remember the exact circumstances as to how he got here, and his friends were nowhere in sight. He let out another breath, 
Considering all of this, from the gap in his memory to the strangeness of his circumstances, he could only come up with a single stand. A manifestation of will, the essence of one's very soul, a spirit that could aid a man in battle with its fantastical powers. They came in all shapes and forms, each having a unique ability. He'd met dozens of users throughout his journey, when it was only months ago he'd began to think he was the only stand user in all of Italy. Each user he'd encountered were all deadly fighters, the likes of which he'd never before seen. Each were vicious warriors that could kill any man if given the opportunity. Diavolo had selected men with this terrifying power to be ones. Men who were cruel and did not have any form of conscience. Men who knew they should kneel to their boss, their loyalty to their leader, some because of fear, and others out of respect, made them hell-bent the ones who were trying to end their boss's reign. Of course, some men had taken a stand against their leader. They wanted to stab that bastard boss right where he was vulnerable. Unfortunately, he and his friends had to kill these men as well. They were all dangerous, and several times he'd almost died were it not for either his quick thinking or timely intervention from his friends. A stand user was someone who should never be underestimated, because if some poor fool thought they were easy prey, they would not be sleep-bed, but in a shallow grave, long the difference. Which was why his muscles tensed and his eyes narrowed to the mouth of the alleyway. It would only make sense for a man who was the head of a criminal organization to have one last card should he find himself helpless. One last underling he could call upon should he find himself outmatched against a far stronger opponent. A precaution that should he ever find himself near or already at death's doorstep, he would have one band left to either save or avenge. A terrifying trump card that he would use with no options remaining. It would explain why he couldn't remember how he got into this alley. He could have been brought here by a stand with the power to alter memory, perhaps the ability to transport people to wherever the user wanted in a paralyzed state. The latter would explain why his muscles had felt so stiff before, and both possibilities would offer a reason as to why his friends were nowhere. But there were holes in this theory. Why was he still alive was the them all. If someone had taken him away from his friends, then why hadn't they killed him as he slept? It was clear he'd been left on top of those trash bags for quite some time, so the supposed stand user would have had more than enough opportunity to kill him. He was helpless, sleeping, and it would have been so easy just to slit his throat. And if there were someone Diavolo had been saving to use, then surely this person would have appeared before the final battle with the boss. That psychopath would never risk exposing himself if he had even one pawn, no matter how useless, left to use. Diavolo was more than just paranoid. He was beyond worried that someone would find out who he was. It was why he always lurked in the shadows and watched everyone from that darkness. He would never take any risk that may lead to entity. So there was no way the bastard would ever willingly fight unless he truly did not have any other options. But still, that didn't mean someone wasn't responsible for sudden appearance. It didn't mean that he was safe, far from it. He was alone. He had no idea where he or his friends were, and the only way to learn more about what happened to him was to get out of this alley, and there was only one exit. The mouth of the alley was too narrow to make out what was on the other side. It could have been a trap. There was a very high chance that someone was waiting for him to make his move, waiting for him to approach the exit and then strike. If there was someone responsible for the situation, then they would not even think about attacking until he fell right into it. Unfortunately, if there was someone out there, he had no plans to play in these hands. His blue eyes did not look away from the exit, 
He knew that when he wanted to, he could be quite intimidating. He'd seen the way the sharp lines of his eyes would gain a hard edge, the way his face would tighten and lock away all emotion. He knew that when he wanted to, he could look like a stoned killer, an unfeeling man that would not hesitate to end a life. For when he got serious, deadly fighter, he had seen how his cold features frightened other people, and if he truly wanted to put the fear of God into his opponents, then he would summon the malice waiting inside of his soul, the cruelty he kept in the dark corner of his mind that he reserved for people who succeeded in making him even slightly mad. He would unleash all his cold malevolence on whatever idiot decided it would be a good idea to try and kill him today. He would show this fool what he could do when he turned into a man who did not hold even a shred of mercy, a man that would make the idiots attacking him go through an agony unlike any other. And after gaining his new powers, there would not He began to walk towards the exit, hands clenched into his fist as he let out a breath. Footsteps echoed throughout the empty alley, the periodic tapping of his shoes against the concrete was the only thing interrupting the silence around him. His eyes never left the exit, and with each step he got closer, though he still could not see what was on the other side. There was a bright light shining from the mouth that made it hard to see anything. He was prepared for anything, though, already reaching inside himself, and anticipating the battle he was about to be thrown into, already planning his actions, developing countless tactics to deal with his new aim. But when he reached the mouth of the alley, there was no enemy. When he reached the end, he found the source of the light had come from a streetlight shining down onto the concrete curb he now stood on. His eyes glanced around, trying to see if anything looked out of place, and for several moments he stood, on guard, waiting for something to happen, waiting for a user to appear and try and attack him when he least expected it. The moment he thought he would safe would be the moment the enemy would appear. He would not repeat the same mistakes he'd made before. But after minutes of waiting, he realized there was no enemy. By now, after quietly standing on the streets alone without even calling upon his abilities, the enemy should have attacked him by now. There was no way someone wouldn't strike when it looked like their opponent hadn't even drawn his weapon yet. And further still, there wasn't a spy. And if someone had brought him here, they would have picked an area more crowded. Stand users looked like regular people after all, and if there were a significant amount of them, they could easily blend in and appear to be an average citizen. I'm sorry, Black Mage of Phantasm, I must stop you. <laughs> yeah, I, I disagree no. with that statement. No, they do no, not. No, they do not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They dress. Also, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say, I really hope Ruby gets a stand called Red Light Roses. If she doesn't, I'm going to be mad. So far, she has not. That's oh, a moment. you're going to be mad then. A, a lot of the Ruby sa sa soundtrack would make for... Ha for uh, good good stand names. I agree. <clears throat> I may switch off here in a minute. I'm getting very dry-throated. Un unbelievable, I'm sure. But after probably 3,000 words of... Stop throating the thick, Matt. <laughs> Sergio. What? I will text Jacob that you put <laughs> me in the right ear. And I thought you were going to say I will tax Jacob. <laughs> I will do that too. <laughs> the Sergio tax. The also, I'm gonna a, tax. A, a, a lot of Ruby music has a has a has a has a, has a sequel, a part two, which just makes makes them act stands. Yes, automatically. This is true. Hmm. I'm gonna hand off narration in a bit here because I am. I'm sure you can probably hear my voice is beginning to lose itself. We we can switch off here now. Why don't Kai take over?
But before Kai takes over, we are going to hear a little word from our sponsors first. I know it's been a while since we had an ad break, but we gotta pay the bills somehow. Hello, and welcome back from the break. Uh, it certainly has been a very fast five minutes, right, guys? <laughs> right. Yeah, just five minutes. Totally hasn't been 24 hours at all. Nope. Definitely not. And I definitely so, didn't get a beverage just so that I don't die on my own throat today. Go so ahead, I Sirs. believe before the ads, we said that Kai would be the next one to read. Yes. I believe we did. You can pick up right after Average Citizen. All right. <clears throat> and then, when their opponent wasn't looking, they would run from the shadows of the crowd and strike. It was a basic attack pattern that many of Diavolo's pawns followed. It was effective and concise, a deadly method that killed many of the bastard's enemies in the past. From his own experience, striking while maintaining an inc inconspicuous nature was the preferred method of fighting for a majority of Diavolo's underlings. But there was also one thing that almost took away his focus from the possible threat of another sand user. One thing that made him partially ignore the possibility that someone may try to murder him with horrifying powers most people could not comprehend. The buildings around him. The buildings that his eyes slowly glanced back and forth to were not normal. The style, the colors, the structures, everything about the building shouted to him that something was not right. The buildings did not have the same feeling as the ones he had grown up with. They did not have the same smell as the ones he saw on a daily basis. That's a really weird observation. <laughs> Even when he traveled across his country, visiting city after city, he still felt that the buildings were familiar to him. Even though he never saw them before, the buildings he saw were still familiar. They awoke an almost nostalgic feeling in his stomach, a lingering sensation that he had visited the city before, even though he knew he hadn't. But the buildings he saw before him, they did not kindle any feelings whatsoever. The buildings around him, we started the, the sentence with the buildings so many times. The buildings. The buildings around him felt different from any other buildings he had seen in Italy. And then there was what was written on the buildings. One was a tiny store with painted orange bricks. There's a pair of wooden doors leading to the entrance of the store. He could tell even from such a long distance that the doors were old and needed to be repaired. Through the windows, he could see inside the building, and it looked to be some kind of record store. Multicolored casing for the records were on display in wooden rows near the window though he couldn't quite read the names of the records from where he stood. The lights were off inside the store, which led him to assume it was closed. The words, Can't Stop the Dust, were written in sky-blue letters on the face of the building. Another building was an obsidian black. Long glass windows let him peer inside the building. The building, the building, the building, the building. The building. And it looked like the store was a small cafe. Several small brown tables were scattered on the floor, and bright red chairs were stacked in a corner. When he squinted his, his eyes, he could partially make out a counter lined with a variety of samples for snacks inside a glass case. On the roof of the store, the words Silver's Cafe was written in bold white letters, held up by several metal bars. Every building he saw had a similar design. Some were bigger, Others had different color schemes, and some were far older than the rest and seemed to be deteriorating slightly, but they all had the same architectural core. 
they all had different names written for bystander to see from miles away. Names that the people who lived here probably knew by heart. But the one thing that made him raise an eyebrow was that the building's names were written in English. He knew how to speak and read in English. He, he knew how to speak and read in a variety of languages, from Mandarin to Portuguese to probably Japanese, maybe. He knew at least 13 different languages that he could speak fluently. He thought it would be a good idea to learn as many languages as he could to help him in accomplishing his dream. A man who spoke in several languages was invaluable. He could imagine several situations where language might become a skill needed should he ever achieve his goal. But it didn't make sense to see English letters and phrases here. Sure, in Italy, there were some places that named their store with English words. However, an entire street with stores and buildings written in nothing but English without a hint of Italian was more than just strange. And the fact that he, every building he saw made a voice in his head whisper to him that something was wrong made him highly suspicious of his surroundings. It was like he wasn't in Italy anymore. And with that thought, he felt the tension in his muscles increase. An unsettling worry had begun to envelop his chest. He did not like what was going on, nor did he really understand what was happening. He couldn't have possibly been removed from his home in an instant. He couldn't possibly have been transported to another part of the world within a few hours. That should have been impossible. But then he remembered how fragile of a word impossible was. After everything he had been through, it would be foolish to dismiss anything as truly impossible. He was a man who had a power most would consider fantasy. His definition of what was possible had been greatly expanded since he had begun his journey. The things he had seen had been terrifying to battle against, but they were also extraordinary to witness with his own eyes. A tiny part of his mind had always been fascinated with the sheer diversity of every stand in the powers they wielded. Even when he was fighting for his life, he could not stop analyzing every detail of the personification of souls. Every stand he had ever fought against had been engraved into the very center of his mind. The things most would deem as impossible he had encountered and had killed. He had crushed all of the scum who had used their impossible abilities to hurt him and his friends. He had learned that impossible was just a word, nothing more and nothing less. But even after everything he had experienced, he would be lying if these new events didn't frighten him slightly. He continued to look around. He could feel something malicious crawling within him and expand with every second. He could almost see the shadows slowly gathering in front of him. Fear had slipped into his body and moved at a deliberately slow pace within his stomach. He shook his head. He tightened the grip on his emotions. He was acting illogically. There was nothing to be afraid of, even if he was in another country. Even if this was the work of some enemy stand user, it would not matter. There was no enemy nearby that he had that much he had already confirmed. And all he had to do was find a way to contact Mista and Trish. Then he could get back home easily, assuming he could contact them, assuming they weren't He closed his eyes as he let out another breath. He pinched the bridge of his nose with his fingers and he began to clear out any distracting thoughts inside his head. He needed to focus. He needed to seal away any emotions that would disturb his calm mind. Otherwise, he could not think. Otherwise, he would be unable to come up with a plan. He sucked in a long breath as he began to process his situation. He was alone in a foreign location. He did not know where he was or how he got there. He had his wallet, his clothing, his emblems, 
and nothing else worth noting. None of the objects he had would help him get back home. What he needed was more information, but he wouldn't—he couldn't risk staying out in the open for long. While he was sure that there were no stand users nearby, that did not mean he was safe from possible attacks. He needed to delicately gather information about where he was. He needed to draw as little as he needed to draw as little attention to himself as possible. What he needed, he saw from across the street. A man, maybe in his late 30s, walk out of one of the stores. He had on a black t-shirt and blue jeans. He rubbed a hand through long, dark, long black hair that reached his shoulders, as in his other hands he held a ring with about 20 different keys. Was about to ask around for help? I'm confused on... Oh, okay, so this so, is a continuation of what he needed. Okay. Yes. I was really confused for a second. I was like, uh. No, this is this is basically just a giant thought monologue from Jorno. Yes, it is. I enjoy it, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, he walked towards the almost barren stretch of road. He looked back at the sky and saw it had gone from orange to a dark bluish hue, almost purplish. He did not dwell too long on that observation. He shook his head as he made sure not to loosen his hold on his emotions. He knew that his face was once again back in its neutral mask. Any fear that was still lingering inside of him was now extinguished and fading back into nothing. He stood only a few feet away from the man. The man had yet to notice his presence. The man's eyes still focused on the ring of keys. He heard the man grumble something under his breath, fingers searching for the key he needed. He continued to stand in silence for another minute until he finally decided to speak. Do I get to be Giorno still? <laughs> you finally get to be Giorno. Do you want me to take okay. back over as narrator? Um, sure, just so I don't have to, like, talk to myself, I guess. Sure. Excuse me. His voice did not hold even a hint of a Japanese or Italian accent. He wanted to make sure that his words were understood completely. It took a bit of effort, but he knew the foreign words leaving his lips sounded as if he had spoken English all his life. And when the man heard his voice, his reaction was surprising. The stranger let out a startled yelp and turned around in an instant. The man's haste to face him, whoever was behind him, the ring of the keys slipped from his hands and headed right for his face. Oh, oh, crap. Sorry, I I, I didn't. The man was upset that he'd almost hit a random person. Now that he got a good look at the man, he could see his skin was rather pale, his eyes deep blue, his jaw angular and in. Giorno couldn't tell what nationality the man was from, for the man looked like he could either be Asian or American. His English didn't have a hint of any accent, but for all he knew, that could have been because he'd adapted to the language, which meant he couldn't pinpoint exactly where in the world he was he was based on this man's appearance and speech alone. It's fine, sir. His words interrupted the man stuttering as he stopped talking. His eyes moved towards the keys in his hands before he calmly extended his arm towards the black hair. Me? Think this is Jorno. Yes. Okay. It was an accident. The man looked back towards his keys. Cautiously, he took the keys out of Jorno's hands as he gave him a smile. It was shaky, making it easy to tell the man was still embarrassed about what had happened. <sighs> Sorry again. It's just, I've been a little... He paused, and he saw the man's blue eyes glance around the end. Tense lately. Giorno did not ask why the man was so obviously worried. Under a normal circumstance, he might have tried a more charismatic approach, striking up small talk and gleaning information from their conversation. 
but right now he needed to get his information about where he was as quickly as possible. He would still be subtle, but he wouldn't waste time with idle chit-chat. That way he could figure out the fastest way to get home and find out what happened to him and his friends. Went th straight through his mind, and he promptly pushed it ruthlessly to the back of his subconscious, the fingers on his right hand only lightly. It's no problem, though I was hoping you could help me out. Huh? The man raised a thin eyebrow. He finally had the man's full attention now. Sure, what do you need? I'm afraid I'm a little lost. He made sure to form a smile that was just a tad bashful, rubbing his head to show a nervous tick he didn't have. He was careful not to ruffle his golden hair too much, though. I fell asleep on my bus, and before I knew it, I slept all the way to the last stop. So if you wouldn't mind telling me, where exactly am I? Oh, sure thing. He pointed with his thumb to somewhere down the street. When he squinted his eyes, he could partially see a street sign. Right now you're on Zetch Street, which is right on the edge of the commercial district. I'm pretty sure there's another bus coming soon, so if you wait. Actually, I was hoping you could be a bit more specific. He could see the confusion engulfing the man's expression as he stared at him. I'm actually from out of town, and this is my first time in the city. He once again made his lips move into a shy smile. I'm really not familiar with any of the surroundings. Part of the reason why I'm lost. If it wouldn't be too much trouble, do you think you could give me a little more information about the city? Pretending to be a tourist sounded like the easiest way to get more information. As a tourist, he wasn't expected to know anything about this city, so he could ask questions that most would know without arousing too much suspicion. Of course, that all depended on the type of person he was talking to. For all he knew, the man in front of him could be someone who hated tourists with every being. Thankfully, it seemed like the man didn't mind the idea that he was a tourist, though. The black-haired man gave him a wide smile. No problem, man. You took the time to visit the Kingdom of Vale, and as a citizen, I shall at least give you some background. He should have smiled. Giorno just found a man who was willing to tell him information about where he was, someone who could perhaps ask for help on how to get back to his home. But Giorno did not smile him. As far as he knew, there were very, very few kingdoms left in the world. In fact, those kingdoms still existing didn't have buildings designed anything like what Giorno was looking at. He could feel cold dread during inside him, slowly beginning to engulf his stomach. He crushed that feeling before it could continue to grow. He would not lose to his fear again. His iron hold on his emotions would not break a sect time. But why was it that he suddenly felt scared, if only for a moment? Why did he suddenly feel hesitant? Ah, oh, hold on. The man's words brought him out of his thoughts. From his back pocket, he pulled out a sort of device. It was small and silver, two handles made of metal with something very thin connecting them together. He'd never seen anything quite like it before. My name's Obsidian, by the way. Sorry I didn't say so before. Obsidian pressed something on the back of the handles, and in an instant they expanded. He could see a translucent panel appear in between the two handles as its length increased. A small yellow diamond was located near the left handle as the panel stopped expanding. The device was now too wide to hold in one hand, so Obsidian had to use both. He found himself taking a step closer to the device. Best way to learn more about the city is through visual aid. He placed one finger on the panel, and then a blue glow emanated from the center, he once again took another step, making sure to keep his expression neutral, for what he saw was surprising. 
The panel was shining with a white light. Several strange icons, like the ones a person might find on a computer, appeared on the device. One icon looked like a tiny magnifying glass, the other a small world, and one icon looked like an envelope. Several more icons were scattered throughout the panel, but he didn't get a proper chance to view any of them, for Obsidian pressed the world icon. In an instant, the other icons disappeared from the panel, and the world icon now took up the whole length of the screen. And then it, too, disappeared, as an image of a large city was the only thing left. The images of the buildings were dyed in a light blue, looking almost translucent. The buildings themselves came in all shapes and sizes, but the tallest one on the screen was a large needle-like skyscraper. Jorno found himself unable to... This is the veil in all its glory. <clears throat> I mean, not all its glory. No way an image on my scroll could do that, but hopefully it will provide me with... Obsidian was trailing off, for the man's words had come to an abrupt halt. He wondered why Obsidian had suddenly stopped speaking. The man seemed enthusiastic about giving him an explanation about the city he was in, so why... Suddenly, he realized his face was only mere inches away from the strange divine curiosity. Jorno blinked before he took a step back. Obsidian looked at him with a raised brow. You okay? He asked. Fine. Was Jorno's immediate answer. He then looked towards the strange device. But, but what is that? What's what? He pointed a finger at the device in the man's hands. That. Obsidian gave him a look. It was a perplexed expression. Disbelief slowly entered the man's features, as if he couldn't comprehend what Jorno had just asked of him. As if Jorno was a strange creature that had just popped out of existence. Obsidian's eyes stared at him for a while longer before they moved back to the device in his hands. You mean my... scroll? Yes. The disbelief slowly turned to shock. You... Don't know what a scroll is? Jorno didn't like the way that question was phrased. Obsidian made it sound like not knowing what a scroll is was something equivalent to sacrilege. But why? He'd never seen technology this advanced. Something like this he didn't even know existed until just that moment. But the way Obsidian said it, the man sounded like it was something as common as water. He chose his next words very... Is that surprising? He was missing something, something that the man in front of him knew that Jorno did not, some sort of information that he needed to know if he didn't want to stand out in this city. It's just, how have you not heard of scrolls before? They're distributed across the world. Were they? If that were the case, why hadn't Jorno ever seen or heard of one? He could feel a little voice inside his head whispering into his ear that this wasn't right. It was the same voice that had always aided him through so many intense life-or-death battles. Something was wrong. He was missing something very important in that moment. That scroll. It represented some form of a much bigger problem. He couldn't pinpoint what, but there was something strange going on. His eyes that had been hardened by countless battles narrowed. Suddenly, he analyzed everything that had happened to him and tried to see if there was a linking factor connecting them. He couldn't come up with anything, but instincts that had been created after honing his instinct for battle across his life so many times woke up. They told him that there was some connection, even though he couldn't see it. So what was he missing? Where exactly are you from? Obsidian's words cut through his mind. Italy. He answered quickly. He went back to his thinking, trying to find the factor that... Italy. 
The confusion in Obsidian's words immediately drew Giorno's attention. Yes, Italy. He saw the perplexion on the man's face expand profoundly. The confusion wrapped itself tightly across his features as he raised both eyebrows. What's Italy? What? He looked straight into the man's eyes and kept his expression as neutral as possible. You've never heard of Italy. That was impossible. Everyone had at least heard of Italy as one of the most famous countries on the planet. A person would have to live under a rock or separate themselves from the rest of the world to never hear about his home country. The voice in his mind grew louder. Something was wrong. Well, no, but should I? It's rather famous. He didn't want to say anything that might seem offensive. He needed to keep this man talking. The man hadn't realized that he was holding information that could help Giorno understand the knowledge of other people in the city had about his home. For if he didn't know what Italy was, someone who for all intents and purposes seemed like the standard, common example of the people who lived here, then there was a very good chance that others had also never heard of his home. If one person, someone who seemed fairly knowledgeable about the world around him if his knowledge about these scrolls was anything to go by, hadn't heard of Giorno's home, Italy, then there was a chance. A chance others would share his confusion. A chance that no one had heard of Italy or any of its cities. He shouldn't even be considering that thought. That ridiculous idea shouldn't even be a possibility. It should be impossible. But once again, he reminded himself that it had been. Haven't any of your friends told you about it? Even in passing? Can't say they have. What are, where, where exactly is it? Is it some city in Mistral or Atlas? I have never heard of those places. That was the wrong thing to say. Obsidian's eyes widened and he took a step back. The man stared at him as if he was some sort of threat, as if he was dangerous, and the man shouldn't be anywhere near him. Okay, dude, you're trying to freak me out. You're not crazy, are you? How was he crazy for not knowing every country in the world? Something was going on. There was some key piece of information that he did not have that instantly made the man in front of him wary. Important information that Obsidian believed everyone should know, and those who didn't in his eyes were easy. But what was it? He needed to continue this conversation. He needed to convince this man that he was perfectly sane and ease his worries. He had to get his answers now. With every second that passed, he could feel new questions forming in his mind, and they needed to be answered. They consumed all of his thoughts. The frustration he felt from not being able to answer any one of them was slowly consuming his heart. His expression still had on that same stoic mask, but he could feel it slipping, if only slightly. Giorno opened his mouth to speak, but something interrupted him. Someone let out a loud curse. The voice was deep and rough, unpleasant to the ears in every way. Turning his head to the left, he saw that in the middle of the road, about a hundred feet away, was a man. The darkness that had only grown as the night progressed made it hard to see what he was wearing. Were it not for this earlier curse, he doubted that Giorno could have even told what gender the man was. But there was one thing that he could make out through the shadows. Something that seemed to gleam from the distant lights of Aizen. A stark, white mask. Then the man ran. He disappeared as he crossed the street down an alley. This is the shopkeeper. Oh, shit. He turned around to see Obsidian, looking at the spot the man had once occupied. Terror enveloped his entire face. 
Obsidian was shaking, his eyes glancing in every direction as if expecting something to come out of the darkness, as if he expected someone to come out and attack him. Uh, I'm sorry, but I can't stay here. Get someone else to help you. Wait. I ain't dealing with the White Fang. He ran. Obsidian was absolutely terrified. He never looked back as he turned a corner and vanished. What was going on? Giorno let out a breath and closed his eyes. He'd only gotten more questions than answers from his conversation. He focused on the very few things he had learned from this conversation with that black-haired man. He was in a kingdom called Vale. There was technology here the likes of which he'd never seen before, and even though the man claimed it was distributed worldwide. In addition, apparently, not knowing what Mistral, or Atlas, was something unheard of. And this man in the white mask was someone who belonged to a group called the White Fang. And whoever they were, one thing was certain, dangerous. He tried to process what all this new information meant. Why was it he'd never heard of a kingdom with such advanced technology? How was it that a man had never heard of Italy? There was something he was missing. Something that bothered him to no end. He could once again hear a voice talking into his ear, and it told him the same thing. There was something he just couldn't see. Something that could be detrimental to getting back home. Another image of his dream flashed in front of him. This one of his friend's blood. His right hand twitched. He stared at it for a moment. He didn't like how his composure was faltering. Even if it was barely noticeable to most, he didn't like how his body just refused to listen to the facade. He didn't like how easily fear slithered out of his grasp over his emotions. It was just a dream. Nothing more, nothing less. That was it. Just a dream. There was... He clenched his twitching hand into a firm fist. He let out another breath and looked around at the buildings. He needed to gather more information, maybe even find a place to rest. Getting late, and while the moon had yet to rise, darkness had already blanketed much of the city. He was thankful he still had his wallet. He should have enough for a night at a started to walk. He wasn't sure how long he'd been walking through the city. All he knew was that no one was out. He had yet to see another person walking down the road. He had yet to even see a car traveling down the many streets he walked through. He had expected to at least see some people wandering on the sides. In cities like these, with crowded buildings that probably held many people, the nightlife was usually far busier. It didn't take him long to figure out what. From Obsidian's reaction to that man with the white mask, Giorno knew what was the cause for Soap Night. Gangs. Just like back home. It was nice to see that other places had the same problem. Comforting to know his home wasn't the only place dealing with organized crime and murder. The only thing missing was some heroin addict collapsing in the middle of the road. Then, truly, this would be his home, Italia. He made sure to stick to the shadows of the buildings. He constantly glanced behind him and to the side to make sure no one was watching or following. He would not get ambushed by either a stand user or a fang member. Even with his powers, he would not lower his guard. And as he continued to walk through block after block, street after street, he saw something. He had no idea what it was, but the first thing he noticed about it was the sound it brought. His ears could hear the air being sliced into a thousand pieces as it approached. Before he could even see it, the noise it brought deafened all other sounds around him. It was a mechanical noise, a sound that was more fitting for heavy machinery at a factory. And the noise only grew with each second that passed. And then he got a better look at it as it flew in the sky. 
it was mechanical, that much he could tell from the black plates that made up its body shining from the lights of the city underneath. It was also massive. The sky itself was blocked from his view with just its underbelly. The main body looked similar to that of a fighter jet, only bulkier and with the nose being more rounded. What he could only assume were two enormous engines were connected to the main hull by large metallic girders. Two lights were shining from its face down onto the streets below. He took several steps back to avoid hitting him. And just as quickly as the enormous aircraft had come, it just as quickly flew out of sight, leaving Giorno staring at the space it had just... Where was he? The voice in his mind was unleashing a glass-shattering wail. This whole situation he was in was more than just wrong. Where on earth was he? Where on earth was there such advanced technology for some reason he'd never heard of before? Where on earth was it that such a massive aircraft could nonchalantly fly so low to a city without dozens of people looking at it in awe? He could feel his lips moving into a tight eyes narrowed. What kind of people had never heard of one of the most famous countries on the planet? Whatever he was missing, he knew now it was far closer than he thought. Whatever key piece of information he needed, he knew was now laughing at his incompetence for having yet to figure out the mystery of this location. He knew it was something obvious now, something he perhaps had yet to properly analyze. But what was it? His thought came back to the name of this place, the Kingdom of Vale. Why had he never heard of such a place before? A place with technology that was supposedly distributed around the globe he should have at least heard of once in his life, particularly considering its advanced nature. He placed a hand underneath his chin. And what exactly Rosidian had mentioned? Atlas and Mistral, he believed the man had said. Why exactly did he expect them to know what they were? This black-haired man had obviously expected those names to mean something very important to Giorno, but why? He glanced to the sky, and he saw the stars, the black veil of the night. But he didn't see the moon. It should have risen by now. Perhaps he was looking in the wrong direction. And then he felt something. With his ability, he could sense life around him. It was limited to a small distance, but he could feel that life energy from other living things. From small plants to other humans, he could feel their life energy suffuse to his own body. His mind could then tell where exactly that energy came from and even what kind of organism it was. And the energy he felt right now... Him. It was an energy unlike anything he'd felt before. It was warm and yet at the same time surprisingly vicious. It was like the energy was trying to chomp at him with teeth it did not have. It was pulsating. He could hear the strong beats of life imbued into every part of itself ring throughout his body. And underneath those powerful pulses, he could also feel something... Fluffy? Yes, definitely fluffy. Almost like fur. The energy he felt right now almost seemed like a combination between man and... Move. He was so distracted by the peculiar energy that he had not noticed the owner of said energy was rapidly approaching him from behind. When he felt something grab onto his shoulder with a somewhat painful amount of force, it had brought him back onto the dark streets of the strange city. And once he was back in reality, he reacted. Without even turning around to face whoever it was, he thrust his elbow behind him. He felt his strike hit solid bone as the person behind him let out a shout. He struck their chest, most likely near the ribs. He then brought that same arm upward at a rapid speed, the back of his fist hitting what felt like a nose. He heard something hit the floor behind him, and turning around, he saw that he was standing right in front of the mouth of another alley, and he also saw just who had almost collided with him. 
It was a man, perhaps the same age as Giorno, but older. It was a bit hard to tell with all the filth covering his body. His clothes had been ripped to shreds. With all the dirt covering them, he could not even make out what color his pants or shirt was. Messy brown hair that had been neglected for some time partially covered his black eyes. The man clutched at his nose with one hand as he could see a bit of blood dripping down from under his fingers. He realized that he'd overreacted. Giorno had been incredibly dense due to trying to figure out where he was and what was wrong with the city, so much so that his body had moved on its own. He'd react as if he were under attack, but by the man's appearance he could tell that he couldn't have been more wrong. The man on the floor looked exhausted, as though he'd gone days without rest. The man's back laid against the wall of the alley as he shakily tried to get back up before sliding back down to the floor. The way the man's breaths came out in gasps told him that he was in great pain, and not just from the blows Giorno had. He took a step down and knelt right in front of the man. I apologize. Let me help. He leaned his head back to avoid a right hook. Get the hell away from me. The man shouted. I know you're angry, but please don't move. You're hurt. You're. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I got screwed up by the you're possessive. <laughs> you're possessive hurt and you need help. <laughs> He tilted his head to the right to avoid a punch aimed for his nose. Despite his state, Giorno noticed the man could still throw somewhat fast punches. You should really stop wasting your energy. His eyes scanned the man's body again and saw that he had several cuts and bruises hiding underneath the rips in his shirt. And underneath his hair, he thought he saw something... twitching. Piss off. He could see the anger rising within the man's eyes. Perhaps, had he not accidentally struck him, he would not have... He would have obliged the man's request, but since Giorno had struck the man, he felt at least somewhat responsible. Whether this man wanted it or not, he would help him. Giorno would repair the damage he had caused, and then leave. At least, he would have. A bang echoed throughout the alley, and the man's side erupted in a scour of blood. The man screamed just as his body was sent skidding across the dirty concrete ground. Giorno saw tears spilling from the man's eyes as he would howl. He turned his head to the other side of the alley and saw what had caused this man. The masked man held a gun that pointed towards the now screaming man on the ground. The mask he wore was gray with two sets of separate eye slits that had the same that hid the color and shape of his eyes, but did expose his light brown skin. The mask covered his entire forehead and parts of his cheekbones, curving around his nose which gave it an angular shape. He also had on a sleeveless white vest, a sleeveless black sweater with the hood pulled over his head and black pants. Black, fingerless gloves embellished his hands, and his feet wore combat boots with what looked like metal guards attached to the shins. The gun in his hands looked like a pistol, and from the barrel, smoke rose into the air. It was painted a gray with red streaks that curved around the handle. It was larger than most pistols Giorno had seen, at least twice the size of the man's hand. And when this person in the white mask spoke, Giorno recognized that voice. It was the same gruff and grating noise he'd heard when he... Well, how about that? With the gun still pointed towards the bleeding man, he took a few steps forward. A human actually helped me catch her sorry ass. Talk about ironic, right, Maroon? Maroon did not respond. He continued to shout in pain as he clutched his wound with both hands. Blood now covered every inch of his hands as he began to pool in the dirty floor. He was still on one knee as his eyes stared at the man in the white mask. Giorno scanned every detail of this man. He only appeared to have one weapon, the gun. 
He was muscular, far more so than Giorno was, but aside from that, there was nothing. For aside from his physique and weapon, there was nothing that could even be remotely considered a threat to Giorno. There was nothing that the man had that could lightly. All right. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. All right, boys and girls, let's finish this traitor. Several more men, each in the same outfit and wearing the same mask as the muscular man, entered the alley. In total, there was now seven people standing in that small area, each new member standing behind the brawny man line. What about him, sir? He heard one of the members ask. Giorno knew instantly they were referring to him. While he could not see their eyes, he could tell behind their masks that they were glaring at him. Their muscles tensed as several of them placed their hands on holsters that held hands. Giorno had yet to move. His stoic expression remained the same, and blue eyes still narrowed and gave no hints as to what he was thinking. He stared at this group of uniformed men and examined every one of them. Some were tall and slim, while others were slightly shorter but still fairly tall. Some had pale with white skin, while others had far darker skin colors. Some of them had the same type of pistol holstered to their legs, while others held katanas? Or at the very least, some kind of sword was sheathed to certain members' backs. Giorno could take them. None of them were any real threat. It would be easy for him to kill each and every one of them should they try something. But he still remained on one knee on the floor. He still only watched the group talk amongst them. Some maroon man continued to thrash in pain. Oh, right. The bulky man, who seemed to be their leader, pointed a finger at Giorno. He placed his pistol back into the holster by his knee. Hey, human. Since you helped us out, I'm going to give you a a once-in-a-lifetime pass. Run along back to your shitty parents and leave this fucker to us. He smiled. The man's expression promised that should he leave, Maroon would suffer. That the injured man on the floor would be given a punishment worse than death the moment Giorno left that alley. Slowly, Giorno stood up. He glanced from Maroon and back to the group not that far from Hey, you're not seriously thinking about staying, are you? He gave no reply. He didn't even blink as his eyes stared at the group of men. Because, if you are, well, I can guarantee me and my boys from the White Fang won't exactly appreciate your decision. Giorno remembered the terror he saw in Obsidian's face before he fled. The only reason he had yet to move was because he had to consider what that fact meant. If he killed these men, there would be consequences. It was obvious these Fang people held some sort of power over the city. Just the mere sight of one had sent a grown man fleeing like a child. Giorno had never heard of the White Fang before, but then again there were a lot of things he didn't know existed before this day. And while that bothered him, despite his efforts to lock away his emotions, he had very important matters to on. The only reason he did not act was that he didn't want anything to hinder his quest to get home. He could see what would happen should he turn these men to corpses, There was no way whoever was in charge of their group would let that stand. They wouldn't let anyone dare even think about rising up against them. They would hunt down whoever killed their men with such ruthless efficiency, just like what Passion would have done. There was no one in this entire city who could pose a real threat to Giorno, not with his powers and not with his skills. He doubted that should he kill these unfortunate fools, their leader would be unable to find out who exactly had ended them. But still, killing these people would lead to very undesired complications. If their leader was smart, they would probably lock down any methods of transportation one could use to escape the city. They would make sure that the murderer of their men could not leave the area unless it was in a body bag. That would delay Giorno. 
and he needed to get back to his home as quickly as possible. He needed to find out what had happened after he defeated Diavolo. There was a chance that their deaths would go unnoticed by whoever ran their organization, but he considered that possibility very slim. Leaving the bleeding man behind to die would be the smartest choice. It was the best option if he wanted to avoid complicating his situation. He didn't have to help Maroon. He didn't even know who this man was. Maroon had made the choices that led him to this on his own. Giorno turned and looked at Maroon's dirty face. Tears spilled from the man's eyes as he stared right into Giorno's trembling hands, known wounds, and freely allowed his blood to stain the ground and pound him. This was a man who had given up. Maroon thought he was going to die. He thought that this would be where his life would end, a dirty alley, most likely tortured before finally Giorno could see the sorrow engulfing the man's face. He could almost feel the melancholy that gripped at this man's very soul. His sadness was an almost tangible, physical force. It filled the alley as with each moment it became more cold and bitter. It kept telling Maroon that these walls would be the last thing he would ever see. Yet his eyes, they held no emotion whatsoever. Despite the sorrow drenching every inch of his face, his eyes were hollow. The only thing Giorno could see in the man void. It was the look of a man who thought that life and then turned and began to walk towards the group. He didn't have to turn around to know that Maroon's eyes were now staring at his back. Is he serious? He can't be this stupid. Holy shit, he's really doing this! He heard comments like that being whispered or even shouted amongst the group of men. Some laughed. Others were pulling their weapons from their scabbards and holsters. The bulky leader was one of the men who laughed. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? Do you have any idea what you're about to do? Giorno was about 15 feet away from the group now. Do you have a death wish or something? His pace did not change. 10 feet. Do you... Do you really want... Shut up and listen. Giorno stopped walking. No one made a sound the moment the word left his lips. The bulky man had stopped laughing. One chance. He could feel it. The malice that always waited and always bided its time inside his mind had finally been released. He channeled it into the air and used it as a weapon to make these fools see just what they were dealing with. He used it to make these idiots understand that he was the one in control now. He saw the man, Shin. That's all I'm giving you. One chance. He knew these fools could feel the sharpness of his words. He used the commanding edge of his voice to make them see he was in no mood for their jeers, that he was only one step away from making his move. One chance to get out of here. One chance to leave this man alone and never bother him again. His eyes grew colder. One chance to live. Several men took a step back. He allowed his icy hatred to twist his face into a frightening frown. He could see his malevolence taking shape and dragging these fools back into the abyss it was born from. Truly, his wrath in that moment was a cruel, dark creature. Is this Giorno or is this the bulky man? This is Giorno. Okay, so go back to whatever filthy excuse you call a mother. Go suck on her teat for the rest of the night. <laughs> And pretend this never happened. He took a single step forward. They all drew their weapons, pointing them at him with shaky arms. 
The bulky man was the only one who didn't. That is your only option. He could see they were sweating. He could see the way his malice gripped at their hearts, but he would not let his animosity strike just yet. Instead, he waited. He waited for the inevitable. Waited for the moment these fools would make the mistake he had seen so many others make in the past. The perfect opportunity to show them that there was no escape. The bulky man's lips moved into a sneer, and he took a step forward as he drew his weapon again and pointed it right at the center of Jorno's head. Was. And just what the hell makes you think you can take us by yourself? Jorno almost smiled. Who said I was alone? An aura enveloped him, and the air in front of him glimmered. A golden fist struck the bulky man's face with enough force to snap his head in the opposite direction. The sound of bones breaking echoed throughout that tiny alleyway, and then the man fell to the ground with a bloody gurgle, and he could see his malice shredding what was left of Rule's hope. Jorno grinned, and then looked at what had just killed the bulky man before his grin fell. And his mask was shattered. Emotionless features gave way to widened eyes and an what the hell? Its skin was as yellow as the sun, its figure like a human yet so different. Toned muscles evident on every inch of its body, eyes green and helmet shaped, its head in the shape of a helmet a soldier would wear into battle. The upper parts of its chest and arms were armor that was a darker shade of yellow than its skin. Equally yellow shin guards covered its legs. Wings, emblems, were etched, attached to the back of its shoulders. Light green ladybug brooches, similar to his own, were scattered along its body. It floated in the air as it slowly pulled its fist before crossing its arms in front of its chest. Golden. That was the only word he could ever come up with to describe what the being before him emitted. An otherworldly glow that shines brighter than any diamond could ever hope to match. A glimmer that suffused itself into every part of Jorno's body. A bright aura of yellow that gave him ease. Golden was the perfect word to describe this being, for it held a strength no one else could copy, for it made those around it know that it was a higher being come to deliver pain to anyone he had deemed foul enough to deserve such punishment. It was a golden warrior that had been by his side for so long. It was his trusted partner, Gold Experience. But the reason why he was shocked and the reason he felt his breath hitch in his throat was because it was gone. Its most powerful form had vanished. What had happened to the power that allowed him to beat Diavolo? Why could he not feel even a hint of the unimaginable strength that had given that bastard a fate worse than death? What the hell happened to its requiem? And then he remembered something. Something that had happened after beating Diavolo, and his mind was set ablaze by a fiery agony. Gah! <laughs> Holy shit. Your mic peaked so fucking hard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he collapsed onto his knees as he gripped his head. Eyes were wide, not from shock, but from an unholy torture enveloping his body. He felt like every nerve you? was suddenly being pierced, every muscle what was the hell? on fire. He How is this possible? And then he heard <laughs> I'll kill you, you son of a... Get away from... How is this possible? Voice... Oh, go ahead, Serge. Sorry. <laughs> Jarno? Voices, bruh, voices suddenly screamed inside his mind, voices that sounded like his friends, but distorted, voices that radiated so much pain and fear, he could feel it enter his body and drench his soul. And these voices only grew with each passing second. They overlapped with one another, making it impossible to tell 
which voice belonged to who, and he could no longer understand what was being said. That did not matter. But he could still feel the agony blazing through every fiber of his being. It was like being swallowed by pillars of flames that would never be extinguished. They burned his body in ways he never thought possible before. The pain in his head somehow stood out amongst his agony. He felt every thought begin to melt from intense fire. He was sure that should this continue, his very brain would... There was the sound of metal breaking, and he remembered where he was. He looked up. Gold experience stood before him, and his hands were the broken pieces of a katana. And in front of his stand was a slim, pale man. The man was shaking, arms holding the handle of his now broken weapon as he took a step back. The pain faded from his body as he shakily stood back up. Sweat dripped from his face as he took in long breaths. And when he stopped shaking, his entire focus was back on the fools in front of him. Cold eyes glared at the cowering man. Am I also gold experience? You are golden experience. That one okay. his partner moved. <clears throat> Buddha! Yeah, yes. Gold experience flew through the air. In an instant, it was right in front of the man and with a broken sword before it struck him with a right hook to his mm. cheek. The man was sent flying. His mask cracked as he was sent spiraling through the air. He crashed face first into the wall of the alley, and he could hear the man's skull breaking on impact. Blood leaked from the man's head and painted the wall as his lifeless body slumped to the floor. Gold experience moved back to him, now standing to his left. Five men were left. They did not so much as breathe. All they could do was stand motionless. All they could do was let their terror paralyze every part of their bodies. All they could do was stare at his stand. He could see the horror on their faces slither and mangle their expressions. They couldn't even think straight right now. Most likely too busy listening to their heart hammering against their ribs to even wait. They were staring at his stand. Not near his stand, not in the general area of his stand. No, these men were looking right into Golden Experience's eyes as it floated only inches away from him. They could see it. How? They weren't stand users. They would have used their stands by now if they were. He could hear the echoes of the voices from before. He clutched his head with his hand as pain arose in his mind. It was less than before, though, and that allowed him to think. It allowed his mind to replay all the strange events that had happened to him today. All the frustrating information he had learned reappeared right in front of his eyes. He remembered how everything about the city disturbed him slightly. He remembered how nothing about the entire situation made any sense. Just what the hell happened to him while... One of them broke away from the rest, a tall man with tattoo on his arms. He ran forward, both hands taking his katana out of its scabbard as he raised it high above his head. He he did not move as the man charged forward. At the base of every animal, there was one thing hardwired into their bodies. Should they ever find themselves in a dangerous, this instinct would activate in less than a second. Should they ever be terrified beyond words, a primal thought would appear in their minds. It was a choice to either run away or fight. He saw the fear wrapping around the man's body as he shouted his terrifying war cry. His grip on the sword practically broke the handle as the man brought it down towards him. The man had chosen oh, to fight. for his head. Of course, either choice the man made would have resulted in the same thing. Golden experience disappeared from sight when it reappeared. It had already shattered the sword with one swift jab before the katana could even get close to him. Pieces of broken metal falling through the air. And just before they could hit the dirty floor, his stand moved the same arm it used to destroy the sword higher into the air before smashing it right on the center of the fool's head. The man's face hit the concrete with a audible boom. The cracks that formed the impact stretched across the concrete. The man's head bounced off the ground as blood leaked from underneath his cracked mask. He fell ba- then fell back to the ground face first. Blood began to pool around his body. Four left. 
They all screamed. One of them fell on his ass as he trembled. The other three pulled out their pistols and started firing. Gunshots echoed throughout the alley, but their screams were even louder than the rapid fire of their weapons. They did not aim for his stand, but instead of him. He would admit that given the situation, that was the smart move to make, but still. Gold experience moved in front of an instant. The bullets bounced off its body without leaving much of a scratch. Its green eyes looked right at the horrified fools in front of it as his partner. This was all... Golden experience began to walk forward. He followed his stand, calmly walking behind as the men continued to fire. The bullets continued to bounce harmlessly off the stand's body, but the fools did not stop. He could see the terror thoroughly drenching their souls slip out of their bodies and permeated throughout the air as their horror killed what was left of their self-control. Tears slipped from behind their masks. They trembled so badly it affected their aim. Some of their bullets missed the stand entirely. With each step he took, their screams grew louder. It wouldn't be surprised the nearby glass began to crack from the volume of their cries. Absolutely. They ran out of bullets, and when they did, Golden Experience was already standing in front of them. Its golden form could not have been more menacing uh, to the four cowering fools in front of it. The, their terror let them know what his stand was about to do. The malevolence he had summoned was laughing at them, and with a grin, it told them exactly what Useless. was them. His hatred that destroyed their will could not have made as clear what was about to happen. They were about to die. Okay, I'm, I'm going to back up from my mic a little bit. Okay. I'm the, the, last I'm the only one here, so I can do it. Is <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> <Was> that good? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was good. <laughs> oh, I I was gonna make a comment earlier when Jorno <laughs> was 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 relieved that, that that this that this town had gangs and crime and, <laughs> and uh, potential My heroin addicts. Crime. I was like, oh sweet man, home Cleveland, sweet Ohio. home Ohio. <laughs> I love how it says the screen oh, man, was right more back in the streets of Detroit after the re. It really was. <laughs> The one who was trembling on the floor was first. Golden Experience jumped forward as it launched his attack. Its arm was a blur of yellow where its hand landed right on the whimpering idiot's trachea. His stand then gripped the fool's throat as hard as it could. Bone protruded from the fool's skin. The moment Golden Experience's grip tightened, blood sprouting from the new holes in the man's neck. Coughing a glob of blood right onto Experience's torso, the man fell to the ground. His stand moved on to the next victims, a speed no one could follow, grabbed two of the fool's heads with both hands before slamming them down to the concrete. The back of their heads erupted in blood, and there was a twin set of short screams. And as the time the screams faded, Golden Experience moved to the last man standing. He never got a chance to scream before he could open his mouth, before he could even contemplate running. Golden Experience threw a punch, and its fist pierced through the man's gut with ease. He could hear the sounds of bones breaking as his partner's fist protruded from the last fool's back. Confusion enveloped the man's features. He could tell the man was trying to figure out why he couldn't move. The last bits of his mind that still functioned tried desperately to understand why he couldn't even breathe. The man looked down and saw the stand's fist piercing his body. The last of the fang gave out a shrill gasp, and then he was quiet. Gold experience disappeared from reality. When nothing left to hold the man up, he fell to the ground alongside the other three corpses. He let out a sigh. He examined the bodies scattered along the alley. He almost expected the corpses to get back up and fight. He remembered all the battles where he and his friend thought they they had only one for the enemy to pull out one last trick in an attempt to win. But these fools weren't like the enemies of his past. He had killed them, and there was no chances of them getting back up. He walked back towards Maroon. Surprisingly, he didn't see any fear on the man's face as he approached him. Instead, there was only disbelief in his eyes. Disbelief that someone could have beaten the White Fang so brutally. That the man was still alive and breathing when he only moments ago imagined every way he could die. 
when he was in front of Maroon, he kneeled down as he reached into his pocket. He pulled out his wallet and held it out in front of Maroon's eyes. Please bite down on this. The man complied without a word. Teeth sank into the leather as his aura once again emerged from within his body. This is going to hurt a little. That was a lie. Golden experience appeared by his side. Maroon did not even spare a gla- glance at his stand, and so he chose to stare right at his face. Bite down as hard as you can. Golden experience moved with immense speed. In less than a second, it had removed the bullet sticking out of Maroon's flesh as it used its other arm to grab a stray piece of jagged gravel. With the bu- When the bullet was removed, the sand placed the gravel right into the wound the bullet had just come out of. Maroon let out a muffled scream as tears once again formed in the corner of his eyes. A piece of gravel glowed a bright yellow the moment it entered his skin. Its black skin seemed to d- dissolve, and from underneath it came human flesh. The gravel began to morph into new patches of skin that glowed the same yellow color as his aura. The wounded flesh seemed to stitch itself back together. After a moment, the wound was gone the bleeding had stopped completely he took his wallet out of maroon's mouth and placed it back in his pocket that should he didn't finish for he found himself being hugged thank you maroon was sniffing into his shoulder the amount of gratitude in his voice was staggering thank you thank you thank you thank you he kept repeating the same words over and over again. His grip grew tighter as he could feel tears beginning to stain his clothing. The disbelief on his face turned to awe. It was obvious that what he d- did had struck something inside of Maroon. The man was now incredibly thankful, not only to the person who had defeated these Fang members, but also because he had stood up for him specifically, even though it would have been easier to leave had he had stayed. He had fought on Maroon's behalf and risked his very life for a stranger. It was probably the first time anyone has ever done such a thing for him. He glanced at the floor. He was not used to these situations. He could count the number of times he had been hugged on one hand. He could charm any person he met with but a few words. He could inspire confidence in others with rousing speeches. With just a look, he could make men freeze on the spot and regret every decision they had ever made in life. But hugging, hugging was not something he was good at. So not entirely comfortable, (laughs) but knowing it would be appropriate to return the hug in some way, he slowly raised his right arm, and then he patted Maroon on the back of the head. And after a short moment, he gave Maroon another tap to the head. Especially after several more seconds, Maroon let him go. He was relieved. It had been somewhat difficult not to show his growing unease on his composed expression. Thank you. You do not need to thank me. He stood up. As as he did, he extended a hand to the still-sitting Maroon. Can you stand? Yeah. Whatever you did just healed my wound. Healed wasn't the right word for what he did, but he did not see a mean to correct the man. Maroon took his hand as he slowly rose to his feet. He noticed that the rings under his eyes were far darker now than before. Golden experience might have repaired his bullet wound, but it did not take care of his exhaustion. If anything, it probably made the man feel more tired than before. As Maroon stood, he also noticed something moving on his head. I, uh... Thought I was dead. Something was twitching within his dirty hair. You remember how he saw the same thing earlier before the fight? I really thought... His curiosity had gotten the better of him. Once Maroon stood up, he slowly moved his arm towards his head where the source of the twitching was. I got worried when you started screaming, but then you killed them in seconds. <sighs> he heard Maroon let out a few heavy breaths. He could tell the man was struggling to regain his strength. And as Maroon trailed off to catch his breath, his hand grabbed the source of the twitching. I can't... <clears throat> when he found the source of the twitching, the first thing he... Notice how it felt rather soft. He thought there had to be some kind of bug in his hair, so he expected he not expected to find something so fluffy. And when he pulled 
out whatever object he had just grasped out into the open. He saw exactly what it was. A wolf ear. Not some fake ear cosplayer <laughs> might rear, but a genuine ear physically attached to his head. It had been hidden by his messy hair, but by pulling it, the upper half of it was exposed to the world. By pulling the ear, another wolf ear emer- quickly emerged from his hair. Pulling on the ear also pr- apparently caused Maroon great pain. The man took a step away from him as he brought both hands up to his ears. Shit! That third! Maroon took a look at him. Why did you do that? Huh? Maroon paused, and the man gave him a strange look. He knew why, of course. He tried to suppress it, but he felt his confusion expanding inside him and slithering onto his face. He could feel it wrap around his features as his frown got just the tiniest bit deeper. He tried to morph his features back into their usual calm expression, but his confusion was too great to seal away, and his perplexion was obvious to the man in front of him, a man who was currently giving him a look similar to the one Obsidian gave him before he called him crazy. Okay. Yes. He responded, making sure not to answer too quickly. I'm just. He trailed off. He not trailed sure how to... off. <laughs> Fuck! I'm dumb. <laughs> I'm retarded. Re- you didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh... We're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> He trailed off, not sure how to ask his question. He picked his next words very carefully. He could not have a repeat of what happened to the last man he tried talking to. There was a chance he could gain some information from Maroon. Are you a user? Those were the only ones he could come up with. Maroon being a stand user was the only explanation he could think of with the wolf ears. Because they look like normal people, you know? They look like average (laughs) citizens. Uh, <laughs> yeah uh user a confusion was evident in maroon's voice yes like me like uh, you he saw maroon's confusion grow as the man tried to figure out the meaning of his words they seemed lost to him then something seemed to click in maroon's mind uh, oh you mean are my ears a part of a semblance semblance uh no, uh, no, no. The these are just part of who I am. They're what make me a faunus. Faunus, like the god. I I don't have a semblance. Heck, I don't even have my aura unlocked like you do. What does having your aura unlocked mean? I'm just a regular faunus, not a huntsman like you. What the hell was a huntsman? I see. No, he didn't. He kept the, his voice in the same emotionless tone as before. He was able to reclaim control of his features as he placed the stoic mask back into place. His eyes were once again calm and showed nothing. Even though his, all he could feel was a rush of confusion and frustration enveloping him from within. What was wrong with this place? Why was it that people just kept saying terms and names like it wasn't supposed to autom- like he was supposed to automatically know what they meant? Why couldn't the, the men he killed just see a stand? Why could Murren see golden experience if he even wasn't a user? He resisted the urge to gnash his teeth together. Once again, he thought back to everything that had happened since he woke up, the voice in his mind that kept reminding him that he was missing something. It was something that he should have figured out by now. Well, what was it about this place that bothered him so much? Why did it feel like he knew the answer and he couldn't put it into words? He looked back at the course of the White Fang. He noticed something that he hadn't before in the middle of his fight. The ones who had their masks cracked 
as in the ones who had been head slammed into the concrete, had rather animalistic features. Some of them had cat-like eyes, while others had teeth that were far sharper than an average human. Were these people also fawn us? They had animal-like qualities, just like Maroon, but he couldn't assume anything yet. He was surprised he hadn't noticed their features before. He was he supposed it was thanks to the light shining down to the alley. It wasn't light for a nearby building. It was far more natural. While it was a little dim, it did fill the alley with a white glow. He looked up to see what the source was, and he saw it was the moon, and then he stopped breathing, and suddenly he had answered the majority of his question. The reason why he'd never heard the veil before, why this place with technology had never seen before, why everyone spread terms if they were simple, uh, common knowledge or which is now simple. It hadn't existed until just now. He was trembling. Fear swallowed his soul and completely engulfed his body. All he could see were shadows. They surrounded him, slithered into his body, and made his dread all more powerful. No, that wasn't right. It would be more accurate to say that he hadn't existed in this place until just a few hours ago. He collapsed to his knees. All sound around him faded to a static-like noise as he stared at the ground. This couldn't be happening. This had to be a dream, an illusion, maybe a trick by some stand user to make him fall into despair, to engulf every fiber of his being in dread. Except that voice in his head was now quiet, and the reason for that, because he solved the mystery. He finally found his answer. No, this couldn't be. This shouldn't be. No, 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 no. Hey, are, are, are you okay? This he was is a sweating panic attack, guys. <laughs> so badly that a small pool had already formed near his hands. His heart oh, slammed. Disgusting. Yeah, that's very disgusting. His heart slammed so fiercely against his ribs he thought it might break them. The fear inside his body was now massive. It flooded and strangled every one of his senses. He was helpless to stop it. Holy crap, dude! What's wrong? Are you okay? What's what was wrong? He would tell you what was wrong. He looked at the black sky. The moon was in fucking pieces. And if you go in general, that is what the moon looks like for him. Yeah, it's been a million is, years uh, since I saw indeed, Ruby season one. It is indeed very many pieces. Oh. And it would, in fact, certifiably fuck up anybody from the hood. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. There, there are so many physics things wrong with that that picture, but I'll ignore it. because Don't think about it. <laughs> Don't think about it. Turn brain off to read fanfic. Don't ask questions. But yeah, in the sky, surrounded by the black shroud of the night, the moon was like a beacon, a broken, shattered beacon that still continued to do its job despite the damage it suffered. Chunks of the moon, some big and some small, some wide and short, had been broken off from the celestial sphere. The pieces floated so close to their former body, they could almost see the full shape of the sphere. To him, they looked like broken pieces of a puzzle that desperately needed to be put back together. Dude, seriously! What is wrong? what is the name of this place? Maroon stopped talking. He could hear the anger burning in his voice. Flames resided in each of his words, becoming all the more searing with each syllable that left his lips. Maroon had yet to answer. What is the name of this place? The fury in his, uh, the fury in his voice burned itself into the very air around them. Maroon looked like again he was thrust into another hopeless situation, as if he was faced out with death itself. And by God, he had every right to believe that. Veil. It's veil. No, not he the knew city. His gaze, despite his wrath was freezing. Despite the rage burning throughout his body, his eyes were unfeeling. Despite the fury making every muscle in his body shake, he knew his expression was frigid. Even when he was so angry, he knew his features were cold. And that right now, those features made him look like an absolute demon. I mean, the planet. Maroon took a step back. The man could see his anger and knew that he would knew what would happen if he said anything stupid. The terror he saw in his eyes for a moment satisfied his rage. 
remnant? The rage left his body, and he felt sorrow had taken its place. He had, but he was hoping he had been mistaken. No, he needed to be mistaken. If he was right, that would mean that would mean that his home was gone, and that it meant he would never see his friends again. But he was right. He was in another fucking world. The sorrow within him clutched at his heart. He could see it. He could feel it emmed uh, into the into every breath. Emmed. Embed. Sorry. Uh, into into. <laughs> Into every breath that he released, every twitch, especially his thoughts, he could see his friends, all of them, could see them move farther and farther away from him from each second until finally they fade into nothing. Damn it. After finally beating Diavolo, this happens. Somehow he had been transported to another world. Damn it. Why did this have to happen? How is this possible? Why the fuck couldn't he remember anything? God damn it. He couldn't. He didn't know when, but at some point his body had moved on its own. He was now standing. He looked down at his hands and wondered what he was supposed to do now. He came up with nothing. For once, he had no idea how to move forward. He had no plan to act it out. No way of accomplishing his dream that he strived so long for. The first time, he felt lost. His entire purpose had just died in the span of a few seconds. His very will had just been destroyed. Something that he thought was unbreakable. Ugh, was now in a million fragile pieces. He should have made it out of diamond. His resolve that had guided him through so many battles had just been extinguished. The fire that had always burned within his soul was no more. God fucking damn it. Hey, man, it's wrong. Are you okay? He slowly turned his head towards Maroon. He could ha- he could feel how heavy his eyes were now. He could feel his melancholy sinking into every part of his expression. He had tried to put back on his stoic mask, tried to lock away his sadness, but his sorrow shattered every in any attempt to lock it away. So he looked at Maroon with tired, sor- sorrowful eyes, not even caring that he looked so pitiful to the man in front of him. No. He hated how quiet his voice was. Hated the remorse that secreted from his lips. Do we need help? Yes, but he doubted anyone could provide him with the help he needed. There was nothing really he could do, nothing at all. Nothing just like he was before. Nothing, just less than a speck of dirt. Just some someone that could do nothing to change the world he lived in. Someone who couldn't change his reality. Nothing. Just absolutely use for his eyes he could see everything. All the hardships he went through. All the times when all... When all by all means he should have given up but didn't. All the times where he should have died, but he kept on getting up. And then amidst the flashes of every struggle he had gone through his life, both supernatural and normal, he saw him, the man who inspired him, the man who he had wanted to be, the man who he owned everything to. For a moment he could hear a voice. His his voice, that smooth, calming tightness that accompanied every word, that rough, echoing voice that reached from the bottom of his soul. Of what it takes. He would always remember those words, always. As if slapped, he felt his eyes widen. What was he thinking? He couldn't allow his misery to make him act like a fool. He was an entirely new world. He had no idea how anything here worked. He needed information, and this man could provide it for him. Within him, he picked up the shards of his resolve and began to put them back together. He refused to let this be where his journey would end. He refused to let to think that after everything he'd been through, he would never accomplish the dream because of something as simple as being transported to a new world. Do you truly have what it takes? His conviction was made of steel. His determination was a fire that would never be smothered. He would not let despair strangle his heart any longer. Any sorrow that left his body would have been crushed underneath the weight of his resolve. Any misery still swallowing his stomach had just been slaughtered by his determination that was ruthless to anything in its path. He was a man who had finally found people he could call friends. Like hell, he was going to sit in an alley and wallow his own sadness. He would get back to his world at some point. He would find his friends again. That was a goddamn promise. And right now, he had to take the steps to ensure that he would not die in this new world. 
Yes. I'm sorry for getting so angry at you before. He did not have the same emotionless expression as before. In its place was a face brimming with worry. He could feel the nervousness pooling in his eyes, and he knew Maroon could see it as clear as day. He pointed at the corpses behind him. It has been a long day for me, and killing these men has not exactly helped make it any better. He mustered up every ounce of regret within him and poured it into his expression. I did not mean to snap at you, but if you are offering me help, do you think you could spare some time and answer my questions? Maroon hesitated. Hesitation was good. Hesitation meant that the man did not view him as a completely dangerous, deranged individual. It meant that he was nervous around him. That much was for certain, but it also meant that he was at least listening to his pleas. I... Please. I know you don't owe me anything. That was a lie. This man owed him, and Maroon knew that fact. He had to be subtle, though. He couldn't be blunt or crude. He had to use the words that left his lips, like, finely sharpened. I know these men have probably been hunting you for who knows how long. And you must just want to escape it all. Men he killed. Men who he saved Maroon from. He saw Maroon bite his lower lip. Good. He felt guilty. Giorno could see this hesitation slowly fading from the man's expression. Just one more push, one more well-crafted sentence with just the right amount of emotion, and then Maroon would help him. But I have no one else left to help me. Please. Yes, remind him that they were one and the same, that they were brothers. One does not abandon a brother who just saved his life. Not here. Those two words were as soft as a whisper. They were barely audible. But Giorno heard them nonetheless. Perfect. Of course. Do you know a place where we can talk? Uh, yes, but first, I, I need to get some new clothes. Maroon looked towards the corpses. He seemed to be considering something, and after a moment, his lips moved. Do you have any money? He didn't think that this new world would take years. No. <laughs> then where? He saw disgust creeping into his expression. We're gonna have to loot these guys. This was far from the first time he'd looted a corpse. It was, however, the first time he'd encountered currency quite like this. There didn't seem to be any numbers nor images anywhere on its face. The design was plastic, almost like a credit card, but it felt... different. A large L with two horizontal crosses was located near the face of each card. Maroon had called it Lien. In total, there wasn't much Lien on these thugs, but he had said there was enough for a set of decent... All right, we can go now. They stood by the mouth of the alley. They decided to hide the corpses in nearby dumpsters located along the alley. The white fang will realize that something is up once these guys don't check in. If I had to guess, I can say, I say I can answer any question you have for about two hours. That's fine. He was the first one to walk out of the alley. He glanced around to make sure there wouldn't be any more men trying to attack them, and after a few moments, he decided that there wouldn't be any. There wasn't a single other person walking on the streets, and the buildings surrounding him looked empty. Adding to the fact that the only the life energy he could sense was from Maroon, he felt it was quite safe to say that they were complete. It's clear. Maroon slowly walked out of the alley. He glanced from one building to the next, then to the desolate stretch of road in front of them, and finally to Giorno. Okay, let's go. I know a shop nearby that sells cheap clothes. 
Maroon began to walk along the curb of the road. He was sure to stay a close distance behind Maroon. He looked up towards the broken moon. Jorna wasn't sure how he got here. He wasn't sure how his stand had lost its power, nor was he even sure how he was going to survive in this new world. But frankly, the how didn't matter to him at that moment. Jorna! He could hear the distorted voices from before once again filling his mind. But this time, he felt no doubt, no fear, and certainly no misery engulfing his body. For right now, it didn't matter how or why he was here. It didn't matter that he'd been taken from his home. It didn't matter that his memories were in fractured pieces. For what mattered right at that moment was that he needed to adapt if he wanted to survive. And then he would find a way home. For it did not matter that he had no clue how this world worked. He didn't care that he had no idea how to return to his home. Because he was Jordan. And wherever he set out to do something, and whenever, he would do it. Nothing, not God himself, or even the most contemptible of monsters would stop him from ever accomplishing his goals. To be continued. Hello all you wonderful readers out there, so I have yet again written another story. You see, a friend recently convinced me to watch Ruby, and I got to say it's an absolute blast. Seriously, the series is so enjoyable and fun. And after watching every episode, I slowly began to think of another story idea. I worked on this in between my other main stories, and the more I wrote, the more excited I became about it. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can tell. It is yeah. my hope that I can do the concept of the yes. most ambitious member of the JoJo's entering the world of Ruby Justice. I want this story to feel different than, than my other JoJo crossover, and I hope you guys feel the same. If anyone has any thoughts, suggestions, or predictions to where this is going, don't be afraid to say so in the reviews. This is the Black Mage of Phantasm, signing off. Peace. This what is a, awesome. What a guy. What, what a you legend. Think? Absolute legend. This is really fucking good. What a, yeah, what a fucking madman he is. Yes. Just, yes. just casually dropped this 20,000 word chapter. I have to say, I wish I had Jorno's confidence and uh, what's the author's Black name? Mage Mage Black Mage of Phantasm. I wish I had their ability. He's so good. So fucking good. He's so fucking good. I'm on his Patreon and uh, uh, sadly, uh, the Koof has uh, been a huge pain in the ass for him and his family. Oh. Yes. Yo, you should reach out to him. Let's get him on the show. Yes. I was... Believe it or not, I've been thinking about doing that for a long time. Do it. But uh, I didn't want to do it. Dude, this is awesome. Do it. Get him on It here. is epic. I am in his Discord, so I can uh, I can message him. And I yes! really hope it's a Get he and it's not a she here. that I've been saying wrong for the past God knows how long. I'm pretty sure it's a well, guy. let's look at the bio. I'm pretty sure it's a guy. Maybe... Maybe the bio will say. Uh, let's see. Maybe not. Yeah. There is a lot. Yeah, he wrote like a huge giant catch up for uh this, It's going to be like the, the Cells at Work fan fiction where you're like this guy and they were like, actually, I'm a girl. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Well, in that case, we at least had the evidence that whoever it was knew how guys chatted to each other in fucking group group message boards. But uh, this, this is good. This is amazing. I uh, I gotta say, it gets even better in the other chapters. By the way, it doesn't get worse. It only gets better from here. 
I have to read the rest of it. Like I have to. Honestly, feel both of you feel free to read it. Uh, anybody listening to this, please, please feel free to read it. It is an amazing fan fiction. Anything this guy puts out, anything this author puts out, fucking instant gold. By the way, everything is just perfect from top to bottom. The only sad thing is it does follow the trend that the better the author, the less completed works available. None. Nothing completed. Nothing at all. Very sad. It's so fucking good, though. Yeah, I I have to read the rest of this. Thank you for introducing us to this lovely You are quite welcome. Oh, and... Even more interesting, there is a uh, there is a Threads of Convergence fic he has, which is just whatever crossover comes to his mind, he just pops it in there. And he has wow. a... Uh, what was it? I think it's a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and uh, uh, Dracula crossover. Oh. I think. I need it! It's... it's also... Yeah. I just realized I did just a complete anime noise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It is no, a I... JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Dracula oh. crossover with your boy Jonathan Joestar. Nice. Sadly, there is only the prologue okay. released. I believe. No. Yeah. Write more. Yeah. Please write more. Donate to the Patreon. I should. You should. You probably shouldn't because you don't have enough money. Okay, that's fair. I do. Uh, I do but if I did. That. Yes, if you did. If I did. If anybody does, it is it is well worth it. Of all of all the people who write in the world, I would like for more Black Mage Phantasm things. Sergio, what are your what are your detailed thoughts while Kai and I are raving over here? Um. <laughs> It's very hard to get detailed thoughts out of me, um, but this was real. This this was re- other than this was really good. Um, I I liked it because it. Um, I I guess I guess this this fic assumes that you are a JoJo fan who knows nothing about Ruby, um, and that's why I I yes, I, which is yeah, good this, for this me. Is why it like worked so well for me. Um, and I think the the world of Ruby is just alien enough to make this sort of thing like work very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very alien to a lot of those things, and I I I don't think it's a surprise to say Giorno cleans some people's fucking clocks because he is he fucks up the power scaling completely when he comes in here. <laughs> like if he had uh, Requiem. No contest. He could solo the gods of Ruby. Doesn't doesn't matter. They would be fucking clowns compared to him. So I am actually glad that he loses Requiem to make it a little harder. But suffice it to say, he is able to go toe-to-toe and defeat characters who normally are able to solo the entire Ruby squad at the start of the, wow. at the, start of the story. He is strong, as you may imagine. I mean, it makes sense. It does. Isn't he like the strongest stand user uh, if, with, if he has with requiem, requiem yes with requiem okay. golden, well, Exper- golden experience well. is a really weak physical stand no it's it's not weak physically compared i've been to, like compared to all uh, of them i'm not talking about like well, like 
like clearly it could beat the shit of a regular person, but like I I I think it's probably the weakest main stand in terms of like physical capability, isn't it? Um, I'm not really? so sure about that. I didn't think so. I think it actually has more power than Jolene's does. No, because um, because Stone Free is described as being close to Star Platinum in strength. Um, I don't know. I can't remember what its stats are. Um, I of course can... the stats are meaningless, but. Like he can break cars yes. with it. Like he can bust down a car. It looks like it's I remember he it's does it at uh, one point. C in strength. Really? Oh. That's strange. Hmm. Well, see, the thing is, is that's is that Rocky, is it, you gotta fix is, this. Well, see, the thing is, the stand stats are more based around the ability than the the entire stand itself. Like so, like somebody asked, true. like somebody asked Iraqi in an interview, how did White Snake um get star platinum's disc it has a d in speed and he said specifically that the d in speed on white snake is referring to the acid um that melts you when he puts you in the dream state the coom which takes an incredibly long time hence the d yeah so i guess it just the goes d. to show that the stand stats are almost entirely meaningless still um yeah at least according to the jojo wiki golden experience is not very strong on the strength of an average human Despite this, is rather what? fast and capable of easily destroying vehicles such as cars and motorcycles. Yeah, no, it's so he's just like he—he's super effective against vehicles. Yeah, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I, I, okay. I personally would say like, like, like it's probably one of the weaker physical stands. I, 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 I think that's. I, I will buy that. I will buy that. Well, like it's it's not beating Star Platinum and Crazy Diamond in a fist fight. No. No, definitely not. See, okay, I get it. I get it. He's super effective against vehicles because it's like organic matter versus inorganic matter. Yeah, I mean, he he did did beat uh, fucking... uh, What's his... Chocolata? Chocolata, yeah. Yeah, he beat him him up for 30 seconds and didn't kill him. That's true. Yeah, well, he does have the power to punch people's teeth out, though. So I, I think that's just from But a normal human could do that. Right, but like every single one of those punches is that strong. He's a strong, normal yeah, human. Yeah, but I, I, I would I, say like, gold like, experience I, would be it. Yeah. Like, 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 I, like, I, what, I, what I'm saying is basically is like, I, I think if you took a stronger physical stand and did the seven page muda on somebody, they'd be fucking dead. But Chocolata was yeah. alive by the end of it, and conscious still. I'm pretty sure he's dead afterwards, isn't he? Uh, no, because no, the, he's alive. You can hear him talk during it, and he does say something before falling into the garbage can or the garbage truck. Okay, I'm pretty sure he dies afterwards, though, because he's I mean, definitely I... not able to talk by the time that uh, not Green Day, fucking Oasis man comes. But uh, I'm pretty sure that Jorna would have wanted him to stay alive anyways. Like, the Steely Dan beatdown was only three pages, but Steely Dan is still alive afterwards, technically. Even though he mm. should absolutely be dead in one hit from Star Plot. Yeah, I, I, would, I would probably put Golden Experience in terms of physical capability as, like, middle of the road. Yeah, I'd say for definitely a stand that you rush somebody down with, it's not as good as Star Platinum is in terms of raw combat capability. 
Yeah, because that's not its 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 ability. Its its main focus is its other like life giving abilities. Yes, that is true. Anyways, I really enjoyed getting back into Requiem of Remnant. Uh, the other chapters are even more enjoyable. The only thing is, I don't think it's super easy for us to read it just because of how much narration no. there is. It's a beast. It is a raw fucking beast to read. I'm surprised though. I thought when we were getting into it, oh man, I hope I didn't misremember him like just droning about stuff. But I don't think it does drone. It sometimes overemphasizes, mm-hmm. I think. But it isn't he's overemphasizing for a reason. He wants something to really have impact in the story. He wants it to really be em- I will say the the part where it's like, oh, what's wrong? Like, what am I not thinking of? Like that that part is a little drawn out. Yes, I would say. Yes, I would agree. But that's the only thing that's drawn out. I think. Yes, and he he does get better as he writes more of these. The prose gets stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, things repeat less. I'd say actually the first chapter may be the weakest in terms of prose. Now that yeah, I'm I, going back. I, that's how it stuff. should be. Well, looking at the yes. second chapter, um. There's also a lot. He, he there's more dialogue, rather than just yes. There is much mm. more dialogue. Anyhow, though, that was fun. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, I I loved it. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Kai's giddy because I can't... you got to play Giorno Jova. Yes, I like Giorno. He's like one of my favorites. Nice. He's not a favorite of mine. I want to cosplay him someday. What's her? He's not a favorite of mine, personally. Really? Why don't you like it's him? It's not like I don't like him. It's just that, like, I, I'd stack everybody on top of him. Everybody? Everybody. Even Jonathan? Pro- like, like I, like, I don't... Maybe above Jonathan. Because, like, like my, my favorite character in Part 5 was Bruno. Bruno. Bucciarati. Not wrong, but... Eh... I mean, he is cool, like, but... I, 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 I don't know. know. Like, I don't know. I just liked everyone else in the gang other than Giorno. Um, I like Giorno know. because he's literally the mixture of Dio and Jonathan. He's the heart of gold of Jonathan, mm-hmm. but he will ruthlessly tear you limb from fucking limb if you hurt people he cares about. Like, I'm not saying anybody he's a, innocent. I'm not, I'm not saying he's a bad character. It's just, you know, I like... Um, I don't know. I just, I just like everybody just a bit more. You like women. <laughs> yes, I lo- yes, I too like women. Um, is, is Jolene at the top of that pile? No, it is not. Um, what? No, it's Damn. not. Um, who's your favorite? Josuke. Then? It probably oh. goes Josuke. Right. That's fair. Jolene, That's fair. Joseph, Jotaro. Jorno, Jonathan. I can't rank Johnny or or Jos Joske of the Jojolian universe because I haven't uh, haven't read those. Joske squared. Yeah, Joskate as he's sometimes referred to as. Who's your favorite Jojo, Matt? My favorite. Hmm. I think it probably is Jorno. If it's not Jorno, okay. call me fucking weird. It might be Jonathan. For- Crazy, crazy, crazy I, Diamond, I really, though, isn't my favorite out of the main character stands, though. That's fair. After mm. after Jorno and maybe Jonathan, then everybody else is pretty equal. I think they're all, like, S-tier. 
or at least close to S tier. It's like S tier mm. and A tier. Nobody's in nobody's in B or C for me. Jacob hates he hates young Joseph though. Yeah, I don't know, I know why he Jacob hates, hates young Joseph. Why? You'll have to ask him if it comes up. He really I love him, Joseph. Yeah, yeah Jacob no, I- hated him. He hate he actually doesn't like part two at all. No. <laughs> I I wouldn't want to put words. Okay, in his I'm about to throw hands with Jake. You should ask Jacob about him because last I remember, he really didn't like anything in part two. Nowadays, he liked it a lot when he was watching it, but now he just does. Every time I've asked him about it, he doesn't like it. So maybe I'm wrong, but ask him. Part two is my second favorite. That is fair. So I have to I have to fight Jacob. Yeah, I. If you're listening to this, come at me, bro. Yeah, I think uh, mm. Sto- Stone Free is my favorite main character stand, followed by uh, Gold Experience Requiem. Because it's it's GER. How can you not love it? True. 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 Gold Experience is one of my favorite stands. I would say. Actually, he... <laughs> he's probably my favorite honestly um then after that i think probably uh i feel like design wise i like star platinum but tusk's ability is pretty cool Mm. i think tusk act four wins a lot of points with me because it looks like such a mind fuck of a stand it's literally armored knight cowboy (laughs) yeah and it makes a crippled man walk it's just hilarious not to mention the power of infinite rotation is pretty cool yes we should probably stop spoiling part 7 for people who haven't read it no no. screw screw you all You, 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 you came into this episode and you get what you get Okay. You get spoilers. See, I, That's what I, I, you get. I love when Iraqi learns a random science concept and then turns it into a stand. <laughs> yeah, Iraqi's stand creation decisions are so fucking nebulous to me. Sometimes it really has the same energy of him just randomly spouting facts about animals in part two. Do you guys remember that? No, he sometimes just yes. randomly include animal facts in part two. I love it. That was, like, my favorite. Rocky is the definition of a man who will read something in a magazine or hear about it on TV and say, Wow! I should... I should... I should write... Put that... I'm gonna put that in my fucking comic. (laughs) And then he does. I love it. It's wholesome. It is very wholesome. But I think sometimes Rocky scares me. Ever since... I watched the interview where somebody asked him the fated question. So, Mr. Araki, Mr. Hirohiko Araki, how do you write your dialogue for your characters? What gave you the inspiration to make them talk like that? (laughs) And then Araki looked at that interviewer in the eyes and dead ass told him, what are you talking about? I just write them how I talk. (laughs) My $800 pants. <laughs> oh god, I, I love torrential weather warning so much. It's probably one of my favorite episodes of the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Somebody like, pointed out too that the diet. Go ahead. I was gonna say that's another. But Araki learned that one time it rained cats and dogs, and he was like, "Well, that means that I can just make it rain whenever I want." Yeah, he can just do whatever the fuck he wants. Uh, the other funny thing somebody pointed out: the evolution of JoJo dialogue goes something like this: "This apple in my hand is red." In like early parts, and then nowadays it's like in my hands. There is this apple. This is a red apple. <laughs> and it's just, they really overemphasize the apple and it's red, even though it might have no fucking meaning whatsoever. The funny part is, like, that's, that, it's so accurate. That's just how he writes dialogue. And that's why it scares me to think that's just how that he, he talks, talks like that. Just all day. Could you imagine living <laughs> with that man? <laughs> Maybe I should start talking like that around my roommates and see if they you notice. You will make them think you are fucking insane. <laughs> Say, isn't it this cup? I am going to go fill it with tea. It is green tea. Don't you fill a cup with tea most of the time? <laughs> tea goes in cups, you know. That's what's supposed to go in a cup. And it's what's always supposed to go in something. You drink out of them, you know. You can always put something else in the cup. I would shoot but the tea. You that's if the you most talk important. like that all day. I would shoot Hirohiko Araki <laughs> if I saw him. <laughs> But the scariest thing of all is what he did to Yoko Shimamura of uh, Gurren Lagan singing fame. God, God help that woman and what Jotaro did to her. Well, no, God, God help him for what what she said to him. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Kai probably has no idea what we're talking about. Go for it. Explain okay, for me, me and the viewers. Let me look up. Uh, who is it? Is is it Yoko Shimamura? Or is that? I'm, yep. No, that's not her name at all. It's who is it? It's Yoko something. Um, I don't think it is. Not Yoko Ono. Uh, fuck. What's her name? Shoko Yoko Nakagawa. Shimamura is that's the it. fucking Kingdom Hearts composer. Yeah, that that's what I was thinking. Shoko Nakagawa is yes. the woman that I'm thinking about right now. Kai, I. Okay, this I don't care who's listening. This is just for Kai's reference. You can look it up too if you want. Shoko Nakagawa and Araki. If you look up that, you will find a terrifying interview. And I'm going to share one image from this interview. I'm going to post it in general. It is her in Jotaro cosplay. She has the hat. She has the jacket and pants. What? She looked at Araki. While he was just blankly smiling at her, and she told him, "My <laughs> dream is to marry Jotaro-sama and have a child with him." Oh no 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 no! What the? That, she said, "I want him to hit me and spit on me and call me a bitch." Yes, she told Araki that she told Hirohiko Araki that she wanted his made-up comic character to beat her up and spit on her. He's just smiling so nicely. <laughs> oh my god. I don't think he knew how to respond. I don't That's fair. I don't think, I don't think anyone could respond. She has a pretty sick cover of Sonochino Sadome. 
But the best part is right after she says that, Araki, with his blank, dead-ass smile, just looks at her and says, I don't think he's interested in women so much. (laughs) This is a non-human creature talking to another non-human creature, but they are equally unhuman in wildly different ways. This there's so much energy coming from both of these photos. I don't like it. There's like an aura on my computer screen right now. The funniest part is Shoko Nakagawa is like a really famous singer voice actress in Japan. She's she's very well known, and I just never can ever forget the disturbing startling amount of desire she is filled with for jotaro i almost hope it was just she, a made-up she bit. has to be joking I, I i hope it was just a made-up bit for the interview it's a bit <laughs> it's gotta be a bit i hope it is i really hope it is there is no way it can't be i'm surprised she hasn't done anything for no JoJo. way uh she did do a cover of sonochino sadame yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I just mentioned that, but I meant like official. He just brought that up. Yeah, that's that's all. Hmm. At least I'm pretty sure that's all. I don't think she's ever voice acted in it. No, she hasn't. God, could you imagine if she voiced Jolene? Oh, that would be something. That would be fucked. That would be really fucked. <laughs> uh. Anyways. That's all I've got to say about JoJo and the fanfiction. Anything else? Um, no. It was a really you good better ask I Black really Mage Phantasm it. to come on the show. I I will ask. Yes. I will ask, and I will try to get. Yay! More special guests. Yeah. Sadly, we don't have much right, any... to to help him out, but. Eh. He can help us out is. with his It's audio. okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Give us some tips on uh, Patreon, since we want to make one of those. He is making, I think, like uh, $90 on Patreon, which is decent. It's pretty decent. Well, we got to ask him questions about how to make money on Patreon. He, he just has a Patreon. I, he's done like a little on it, but he hasn't written in a while. Loyal, Loyal but small following. How do we have followers who talk to us need, besides we Ralph? We need to write better. This is probably true. We need to write better and be better. Because we kind of suck. That's that that that's that that's no. We don't suck. We are success challenge. You know what? I'm wrong. We're based and epic and red pilled. We're based in epic and red pilled and success challenged. Okay, we're, we're we're getting there. We're on the rise. We are slowly. Yes, we are. Anyways, on the rise. let's end this episode before we yes. continue to ramble like dumbasses. We love you. We love you. I don't.